flashes, huh? What's your favorite scary movie? Um, not that one. <laughs> and welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking, did you know that little cockbiter was still a minor? We're talking, it's not about me. It's about this huge thing between my legs. And we're talking, no one bites off a macaroni's testicle unpunished. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking, the Lord's will must be obeyed. And the Lord wants you to jump into the condoms. (laughs) (laughs) These quotes out of context. What the fuck? <laughs> it's wild. Everyone, we are discussing Killer Condom, a 1996 trauma acquisition that is just delightful and very fun and very fucking queer. It's so enjoyable. I always forget how fucking funny this movie is. Well, you know what's funny, Joe? I actually watched it for the first time when we wrote an article about it uh, in the pre-podcast days, you know, when we just Mm -hmm. had our article series. So this is my second time um, watching this, and I think I liked it even more this time. I bumped it up from a three and a half to a four. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Shout out to a friend of the show, Brennan Klein. I think it was because of him and Patrick Hamilton of Kill by Kill podcast that I first caught wind of this. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I have a story about how I, like, found out about it, because it was actually when I was a kid. Um, oh, okay. I know, right? But, but but before I get too far into that, let, let's bring in our guest who's waiting in the wings, because we've got um, a two-hour Killer Condom movie to talk about. Mm-hmm. Everyone, he is an editor at Screenarchy. He is also a programming consultant at Fantastic Fest and a proprietor of Potentate Films. He is also one of the biggest advocates for South Asian cinema that I've ever met. Uh, Please welcome Josh Hurtado. Hello. Hello, Josh. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to finally be here. (laughs) (laughs) On Killer Condom, no less. (laughs) No better starting point. There we go. Than this, I know, right? Well, I, I'm curious. I mean, because you watch a very wide range of cinema from um, tons of different countries. But h- how did you find this particular film? Like, when did this film enter your, your life? Uh, very early on, actually. Um, when I was just getting out, uh, well, actually, my senior year of high school, uh, 1997, hmm. I, I was picking colleges to go to. And I lived in Northern California, and I had spent most of my senior year skipping school to go drive to Berkeley to see films at the UC Theater, which at the time was like one of the top repertory theaters in the Bay Area. Nice. And uh, so I almost failed most of my classes. Um, But but I did manage to see, for example, the the 25th anniversary re-release of Pink Flamingos. And I saw Welcome to the Dollhouse on the first run and and things like that during my senior year of high school. And so I made my choice of college uh, based on that theater, uh, which (laughs) didn't bode well for my, my university career at the time. But, but you watched a lot of movies. I watched a lot of great movies, and one of them was Killer Condom. It played at that theater in 1998, I believe. Uh, and I just saw it on the calendar, and I saw the title, and I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know what this is, but I'm going to go watch it. And so my first Killer Condom experience was on the big screen back in the day. Uh, holy shit. <laughs> Out of curiosity, do you remember what the audience reaction was like? Like, did they understand the jokes? Did they get the film's vibe? Yeah, I think they did. You know, Berkeley's a very liberal town. And so a lot of this stuff wasn't super. uh, I mean, it was obviously it's a very broad comedy in the film, but it it played Mm -hmm. well uh, there. It was the kind of thing that the audience was was into. Okay. 
you know, walking into this film for the first time five years ago, I was expecting something a lot worse than this. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't, I think I've made, I don't have an aversion to trauma films, but trauma films are definitely an acquired taste that I haven't fully acquired yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so to say acquire one more time again, though, the, the, what makes this one different for me is that it's a trauma acquisition and not a trauma production. And so, but the funny thing is the way I heard about this, and part of this is related, part of this is not, but I was um, visiting my grandmother in Louis- you know, Louisiana when I was uh, probably 10 or 11 years old. She had the VHS cassette, didn't she? So, <laughs> no. So, okay. The, the, y'all are going to think I'm so stupid. But some teenager that was working at a DVD store told us that DVD players, because they were new at the time, you know, I think it was around the year 2000 when I was doing this. And he told my grandmother that DVD players had a functional capability to edit out, like, the R-rated content so I could watch R-rated movies. And I oh. really wanted to watch Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> Score one for that kid pulling something over on your grandma. Absolutely. Such a hero. <laughs> we spent a day at the mall trying to figure this shit out. But 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 while looking through R-rated DVDs that I was like, ooh, what 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 can I watch edited versions of that I can watch? Um, I came across a DVD of Killer Condom in a mall in oh. Monroe, or maybe it was Delhi, Louisiana, which Delhi is even smaller. I'm surprised they didn't fucking ban it. Well, that's like a toothy condom on the front cover. I was like, this is wild. What is this? And, you know, well, I wouldn't say I never thought about it again, but it was one of those things where, like, when I left that store, I was like, I'll never hear about that movie again. <laughs> and then Joe <laughs> asked me to cover it five years ago for our article series. <laughs> wild. Absolutely wild. So, and Joe, you said Brennan Klein told you about this for the first time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I heard it was either an episode of Kill by Kill or Brennan's old podcast, but they just did an episode and I was like, what is this movie? It sounds absolutely off the wall. So because of that, I ended up tracking it down and it is so queer. I just always had it in the back pocket for us to cover. Well, I'm glad we finally get to cover it on here because there is a lot to talk about in this movie. <laughs> yeah, so much. Uh, okay well let's talk about how this got made and everyone i alluded to this at the end of last week's episode because um this film is not available to stream anywhere although i would highly recommend getting vinegar syndrome's 4k that they released last month that does include a director's cut that is 10 minutes longer and um a boatload of extra features like it took me an afternoon to go through all of these things but There is allegedly a copy of this movie on YouTube, and if you allegedly type in Killer Condom Full Movie in that search engine, it will allegedly pop up for you, and you will allegedly be able to watch it. Allegedly, allegedly. Yes, exactly. But, moving on. (laughs) So, okay, I apologize in advance because I do not know how to speak German, and I do not know their uh, accent system, so I might be butchering my way through some of these names. Sure. Killer Condom is based on two comic books from the queer German artist Ralph Koenig, and those books are Condom de Grounds from 1988 and its sequel Macaroni Beast Alf die Nokin from 1990. And while this film was primarily adapting the first novel, um, it does incorporate plot points from the sequel, something that writer-director Martin Valls says you could probably see in the sometimes disjointed narrative. <laughs> Oh, fair to fair to know. <laughs> I was I was actually very excited. I, I this was an opportunity for me to actually buy the comic and read the comic this week. So. Oh, is there an English translation of it? Yeah, there is. Very awesome. very easily accessible. Now, wh- what were your thoughts on these comics, Josh? Uh, I only got Killer Condom because at the time I didn't realize that it was both books. Right. 
And we, we'll get to it when we get to the plot, but the Killer Condom book actually only goes about halfway through the film. Right. Uh, and then it picks up in the other book, I believe, mm. for the rest of the film. Uh, but I thought it was great. So, okay, the question for you, as an adaptation, how do you think this film does at adapting, I guess, maybe the art style and tone of that comic book? The comic is slightly sleazier. Um, it's more graphic because it can afford to be because it's, you know, all drawn, you know, yeah. you have to actually put the things on screen, but it does a pretty good job. It, uh, the book, the movie fills out a lot of the characters that aren't named in the book. There are a mm-hmm. couple of characters in the movie that feel like they're split into two from one character in the comic. Mm. So there's really only one character named in the comic book and it's macaroni. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, but it is, it's a, it's a pretty skeletal version of what the film ended up being. Well, I, I, th- the reason I ask is because um, in one of these extra features, uh, the special effects supervisor, uh, Jorg Butgeret, he says that the uh, the cartoonist, Ralph Koenig, didn't like the film, but he did like the special effects in the film. Oh, that's funny. Hmm. I know. Interesting. But he didn't elaborate as to why he didn't like the film. And unfortunately, this cartoonist isn't included on some of these features, but I digress. I mean, maybe because he doesn't like the movie, so he declined the invite to participate in the special features. Entirely possible. Although I did like the fact that, you know, he is a queer comic book artist. Uh, Valls, the writer-director of this, is not queer, but Udo Samel, the actor who plays Luigi Macaroni, is gay in real life. Nice. Okay. Which I don't think, I don't think he was out at the time, though. I, I don't think he was out until much, much later. Well, oh, wow. I, so he hmm. definitely met his current partner two years after he filmed this movie because they've been together for 25 years. But whether yes, or not yes. he was out during right. that, to- that entire time, I don't know. Yeah. But, okay, so how does a movie adaptation of a queer comic book about carnivorous contraceptives even come about? So first, let's look at Valls' career because he intended to be an actor and got his start in the early 80s in the Oscar-nominated German-language Swiss film called The Boat is Full. But after getting that, uh, he just kept getting worse and worse roles. And uh, (laughs) while working on one of these films in a very small capacity, he was watching the director direct and said to himself, not to the director, I can do that better. So (laughs) (laughs) he decided to... uh, learned to be a director. Um, But unfortunately, he applied to three different film schools and got rejected from all of them. And so what he did instead was he went to New York and took a six-week crash course at NYU. So learning a lot of film basics, uh, be it 60 millimeter film, editing, uh, other things like that. And he shot his first film when he was 25, a short film set on a train in Prague, but then didn't get any work in film for six more years. This guy's persistent. I'd say so, yeah. So... What led him to Killer Condom was the comic book Der Bewegte Mann, which was also written by Ralph Koenig and was also a queer comic book. He wrote a screenplay for it on spec, uh, so without securing the rights first, and then kind of shopped it around, but he could not get financing for it. Well, then someone else actually did get the rights to the book, and they got financing for it, and they made the movie. So (laughs) the English title for this one is called Maybe, Maybe Not. But here's the thing, though. With Killer Condom, we're taking a queer source material and keeping it queer. Mm -hmm. This adaptation switched the perspective from the gay character in the comic to the straight guy to make it more accessible to audiences. And unfortunately, that seemed to work because the film was a hit in Germany. I'm shocked. Totally (laughs) shocked. Straight washing for profit? What? Yeah. 
But then he went to one of his producers again, and that producer said, well, hey, you know, I know you really liked this comic book, but he has this other one called Killer Condom. Uh, let's do that. So deciding this was a more fun book anyway, Valls went to work on it and was seeking a tone similar to that of Frank Oz's adaptation of the Little Shop of Horrors musical. Oh, I can see it. Yeah. Well, because his idea was, well, it's a very funny, silly, over-the-top film, and it's campy, but it is serious when it needs to be serious. And I, I do mm-hmm. think that there is a, like, I do think this film could have gone bigger with some of its performances, which is surprising when you get to the climax, because that female lady doctor is just, like, bigger than everything. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> but he managed to get 4 million Deutsche Marks from private financiers. And Germany switched to the euro in 2002, so I don't know what the conversion rates from 1996. Um, but they talk about it a lot in these interviews, and the way Vols describes it is it's not that much money. At least based on the screenplay for this, which incorporated a lot of special effects. Naturally. Yeah. Production begins in February of 1995, but they had a very strict deadline of having to have the picture locked by May, which would have been four weeks after the end of filming. So because of this, they were rapidly editing while they were filming this movie. Oh, no. Yeah. The um, There's an interview with the editor on this 4K set. And this was her first editing gig, which she said put a blemish on her. Like, people wouldn't hire her after this because the only thing she had on her, on her resume was, hey, I edited Killer Condom. Yeah. And it was also just very stressful for her. But they shot most of the film in Berlin, got a few exterior shots in New York City, you know, like that opening shot uh, where the camera comes out of a manhole in Times Square. Right. But because they had to impress the financiers, Valls made sure everyone put most of their effort into the first few days of shooting so that they would have really strong dailies and would impress their financiers. (laughs) That's one way to do it. Well, yeah, it get worked. Off your back. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying, right? So it worked, and Valls was actually left alone for most of the shoot, with rarely anyone telling him to change something or do something this way or that. Savvy. Very. <laughs> uh, the special effects supervisor on the film, again, Jörg Butgereit, uh, he at the time was very disillusioned with the movie business. You see, he had recently come off in writing and directing the 1987 West German horror exploitation film Necromantic, which had to deal with a lot of censorship. Potential future episode, folks. Okay, have either one of y'all seen this movie? Because I looked it up and I was like, we have to cover this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh yeah, several times. Yeah, I've not seen it. I just know about it by reputation. (laughs) Well, for our listeners who don't know what it is, like me, um, the basic premise of this movie, a street sweeper who cleans up after grisly accidents brings home a full corpse for him and his wife to enjoy sexually, but is dismayed to see that his wife prefers the corpse over him. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. It's pretty incredible. Uh, there's, uh, And you can see why he would be hired for the effects on this, because he did all that stuff himself. Oh. On his first, actually, he'd made four films before this. He'd made mm-hmm. uh, the first two necromantic or necromantic films, and then uh, Der Todes King, which is another genius film. And I think he was just coming off of Shrum. Mm-hmm. The, and with the exception of Necromantic 2, they're all... Pretty depressing, as I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> sure. <laughs> necromantic 2, though, is... Almost a romantic comedy with necrophilia. So I've heard that. Yeah, it's got quite the sense of humor. Okay, so you like them? Do you consider them good movies? Mm. I think, based given given what he's going for, he accomplishes his goals. Okay, whether or not that is to your taste is, <laughs> is up to you. Oh my God, Josh, that is the most political answer ever, and I fucking love it. 
I love them. <laughs> Before we send a bunch of our listeners out to just go watch Necromantic. <laughs> I mean, they heard that description. You know what you're getting in for if you're signing up for it. Yeah. I mean, you have a you have a vague idea of what you're getting in for. I, I, I <laughs> oh dear. I hate to think that you know exactly what you're getting in for. Like li- that makes me want to just stop this recording and go watch it right now. Like that. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I mean, that is the funniest thing because I have definitely never programmed it being like, oh, Trace isn't going to want to do this. You don't want. Wait, I'm sorry. I wouldn't want to do the necrophilic German exploitation movie. <laughs> Well, the conversation would go, ooh, I'll watch that, but I don't know if we should program it because no one will ever listen to it. So well, here's, here's here's my content warning for that particular film. And this is, I know we're, we're recording a little bit of a head, but as yeah. I'm listening to you guys, there's been a theme in the recent episodes I've listened to of dead animals. And yeah. there's, a, there's a cat that gets it pretty good in the first necromantic film. Oh, dear. I love that you say gets it pretty good and not gets it pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's quite a scene. There we go. Oh, man. Well, okay. Noted, noted, noted. Uh, And you know, we planted the seed, Joe. And you're right. Mm -hmm. I might be like, well, no one's going to listen to it. But when you tell them censored necrophilia movie, I mean, at least for me, that's an instant like, well, I got to see that. (laughs) It's an instant sell. Question mark. <laughs> um, but anyway, so famed Swiss artist H.R. Giger, um, of course, many people probably know him from his design work on the Alien films, but, you know, he's done a lot of other things beyond that. But he was known by some of the Swiss producers, and he was going to be brought on as an effects consultant for Killer Condom. And so okay. he came by the set to look at their effects and sent them hundreds of pages with different design ideas. And a lot of those <laughs> did end up in the movie. And again, if you have this 4K set, there's a whole, like, it's like a 20-minute featurette of the director just kind of taking you through his memorabilia for the film. Oh, amazing. And some of it is all these, like, hundreds of drawings by H.R. Giger for what his, his uh, designs were for this film. <sighs> Treasure trove. Lots of very cool stuff. So, okay. Apparently, once he realized that money was going to run out and the film would not be able to match his concept, he took a less hands-on approach in the film. And another issue with this was they had handed Giger his contract after filming had started, so they couldn't use some of his designs because they had already filmed the scenes. <laughs> Ooh. But you can see most of his designs and the climax of the film. Like, I think the laboratory is where you see the most Gigery type of stuff. Right. Yeah. But after filming wrapped, they just had four weeks to get to the final cut. So at some point, producers told Valls that he had to cut 10 minutes out of it because it was just shy of the two hour mark. And um, I don't know, I guess a two hour queer condom movie is just a hard sell. I don't it's know. It's a deal breaker. Yeah. <laughs> Where's their sense of adventure? Uh, right. Honestly, <laughs> you know what you signed up for. It's in the title. I, I, well, okay. Genuine question, though. Do y'all think this film has pacing issues? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> it's a bit uneven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't agree. know that it needs to be two hours in any in any way. Yeah. I agree. But here's the thing. Well, maybe we'll talk about this when we go to the plot, because mm-hmm. this is the issue. He would come up with an idea, like, okay, well, I can cut this scene. And then someone on the set or a producer would go, like, no, that's my favorite part of the movie. You can't cut right. that. And so after that happened several times, the producers were like, you know what, here, just take a half day, go cut whatever the fuck you want, and we'll be done. So <laughs> that's what he did. Right. There isn't honestly like a whole like lot cut out. The only major like scenes or subplots cut out, there's a bit with a tourist who gets her nose bit that comes back a lot. Mm-hmm. And then also you get to actually see Macaroni's partner, Sam, at the gay bar with his yellow hanky and see him a- interact with other queer men. Right. Yeah, I think there are a few brief shots of the uh, of the the prosthetics that disappear. 
Yes, there are a few more graphic very shots. Very brief, yeah. Yeah, and these are like, and that, I don't bring them up just because like you still get the effect. Like there's an actual like yes. story missing, but there are there is one scene where there's just a lot more penis shots. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. severed penis inside the condom that's moving around, but still, like it's basically a loose dick, dick is dick, right? I mean, yeah. we'll take it wherever we can get it. <laughs> So yeah, this director's cut was included on the Vinegar Syndrome 4K that was released last year. So, you know, if you bought that or you plan on buying it, you can watch it there. There we go. Now, when it came to the release, um, Valls says that, and I quote, all of the premieres were horrible. And (laughs) I thought he was referring to the audience reception, but apparently there wasn't much of a reception to be had because what happened was... All of these early premieres were outside. So like on a lakeside oh. with a big screen or like in a park. And on every single one of them, it stormed raining. <laughs> That's just bad luck. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then he was like, well, the Berlin, the Berlin premiere was okay. That was also out in the outside, but it didn't rain. But that was a friends and family premiere. So he didn't feel like he got any actual like unbiased opinions from the people that watched it. Sure. The critical response in Germany was decent, uh, noted to be very good in Berlin, but very bad in Cologne. Not sure why. Hmm. Generally, it was favorable, although, again, as I said, Ralph Koenig, the cartoonist, didn't really like it. Uh, We're looking at a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 4.3 out of 10, but only based on six reviews. And Letterboxd users have given it a 6.2 out of 10. Boo. Where's your sense of humor? (laughs) I just, I mean, truthfully, though, I don't think a lot of people know this movie exists so hopefully we change that there we go yeah uh when it came to the theatrical release though they started with uh, again this means nothing to me but vols puts it into context they requested 420 prints which at the time was enormous um vols Mm -hmm. said that 150 would have been more normal so wow apparently these swiss producers um like they they were let down by its performance because they were expecting a larger audience that a mainstream heterosexual story would get, not realizing uh, that the queer aspect <laughs> would limit viewership. I'm which so in confused. 1996, I'm like, really? You didn't? You, really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, your target audience was Josh at Berkeley. That, that was the <laughs> best you were going to get. They got my $6. <laughs> they probably there needed it. Well, apparently because it didn't do well, though, after a couple days of being in theaters in Germany, um, the producers dropped any kind of ads for it. So did whatever they could domestically. But hey, we've got to get that international release. So let's start looking at film festivals. Mm -hmm. So for this release, uh, it all starts at a German film festival that takes place in L.A. once a year. And I I couldn't figure out exactly what film festival this was. It sounds like it might be the German Currents Film Festival, which does take place in L.A., but I don't know if this existed 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But basically, whenever this festival took place, the German Export Union, uh, who basically is in charge of, like, you know, getting their films out there, would show up with a box of VHS tapes and later DVDs of all the movies that come out in Germany of the past year. And they would just tell the festival, here's a box, pick 10 movies out of them and uh, screen them at your festival. There you go. Right. Sure. That's how curation works. Right, Josh? <laughs> yep, exactly. That's what we do. <laughs> we usually blindfold ourselves before reaching in the box. Right, yeah. <laughs> but do you still get a box, or is it just a Google Drive folder now? It's it's a, a drive USB. folder now. Yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky, you get a thumb drive, yeah. Right, yeah. Physical? What's that? That'd be really nice. Well, while Killer Condom was filming in 95, this festival was going on. And someone mentioned the film to the Americans um, looking through the box. And the next year, after Killer Condom was done, it had its you know screening in Germany. 
one guy who was at the festival the year before was like, hey, I'm looking at this box for that condom movie y'all talked about, but it's not in here. Hmm. <laughs> and um, I guess it had been misplaced or maybe they were intentionally hiding it. I don't know. But someone from the German side handed him the DVD from another boxer pile. This guy watched it immediately, took it to Troma and was like, hey, y'all, you want this movie. I mean, yes, this is such a good fit. Yeah, absolutely. It's an easy watch to, I mean, pacing issues aside again, it's a two hour movie, but like, mm-hmm. it's just so funny. <laughs> right. But Troma got the distribution rights and sent it through the American festival circuit. Vol says it played at nearly 100 film festivals, which Whoa. sounds like a lot to me, but maybe That's it's huge. not. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, there are a lot of film festivals out there that really only are local. So that, that right. number could get padded pretty quickly. Mm. okay okay right yeah i'm imagining like not quite mom and pop festivals but once you branch out beyond big cities yeah horror conventions and things like that also right oh, oh convention circuit too right. mm-hmm. god i never went to i, I didn't go to release because i uh, oh, oh josh you know this because you live in dallas <laughs> mm-hmm. i wouldn't really go to a lot of the screenings at texas frightmare weekend because i went a couple times and got burned real bad that's very easy to do i mean i've only i've stayed for a few of them that i really really liked but it's it's often not uh not can be a crapshoot i imagine right yeah yeah Yeah. well luckily after this festival circuit the next thing they did was the college circuit showing it at a bunch of universities across the country (laughs) see that's smart that is a good target audience like college kids would eat this up right right also, I mean, nowadays, I, I actually, Josh, does, it, does this still happen now? Like, do they still do like a college like launch of this type of stuff? There are still uh, college film societies do this pretty frequently. In fact, mm-hmm. with my work at, uh, at at Potentate Films, I'm booking some older films from S.S. Roger Willey, who directed Triple R. And we're booking, you know, colleges across the country with some of those films still. Right. So it's a it's definitely a circuit. I just think even now, too, I mean, like, now, too, like, just with social media, like, I feel like showing it at colleges is a really good way to get word of mouth out for films that obviously mm-hmm. haven't been released yet. Well, oh. and and also stuff like this, right? You know, foreign films, films with some weird subject matter. Like, I remember my college film society, we broke Fight Club. So we had, like, a premiere of that. But also, uh, that's where I first watched uh, Ringu. Oh. Very nice. Uh, hmm. Well, okay, so after that, they released it on DVD in about 20 countries in 1999. So we got this a full three years, which, it, which again, looking at that year, I was like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because a year mm-hmm. later, I was in that Louisiana ma- mall <laughs> trying there to find my go. deep blue sea. <laughs> <laughs> the timelines match. Exactly. But Killer Condom did do well for Trauma, and after a few years, publications started doing Trauma retrospectives, which gave the film a sort of second life. And... Um, Interestingly enough, so both Valls and uh, actor Udo Samel, they talk about how critics of the 90s didn't really make note of the film's queerness, which, again, <laughs> I find that very odd. <laughs> how? What I, film were they watching? I mean, for okay, I will say, as as the straight guy on the podcast right yeah. now, mm-hmm. that it was there, but it wasn't right. why I was watching the film, you know? Okay. It's, yeah. it, watching it now, all these years later, and even I watched it a few years ago with some friends, it becomes more obvious that there's a lot more going on under the surface. But at the time, it was just like, look at this crazy movie. And it works right. on that level also. Look at, watch all these crazy things happen. Mm-hmm. Now, with the benefit of, of of age and, you know, building relationships with, with friends uh, who are gay and, and learning more about the culture just from being a part of the general world culture, like now right. I can see a lot of that stuff, you know. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you really just? I have a gay friend. Us. <laughs> No, he said he has many gay friends. Many. That's oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> plural. Plural. <laughs> I guess. I guess because right, watching this five years, because I didn't know this was a queer movie until Joe suggested we watch it all those years ago, and I just remember watching it being like, oh my god, like it's mm-hmm. it, it feels so progressive in so many ways, and I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah. And I guess e- even for a straight critic to not be like, wow, this is g- given where we were as a society in the n- late '90s. I mean, you know. It's what, 10, not even 10 years after the AIDS crisis. And I think you can view this one as an allegory for that if you wanted to put that together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess I'm just surprised. Oh, no one wants to be like, yeah, this is a really gay movie coming out in 1996. I did look at a couple of old reviews just briefly, and several of them mentioned that they, it felt like a gay movie for straight people. Oh, Which I thought was an interesting way of, of couching that. And mm-hmm. given the fact that it's, co-written and directed by a straight man and stars a mostly mostly straight cast mm-hmm. i mean i can see that i mean it right. makes sense i'm curious then okay and, I, and joe you can answer this too so what do you think that means you know a, a gay movie for straight audiences because to me that means the film would be a little bit maybe didactic in what it was doing like look this is what queer people do because of this and this is why and look at this science specimen over here this gay man <laughs> i don't know that this feels queerer to me or i guess I mean, we don't get, like, well, I think we don't get fallen fucking, but we do get fucking in this movie, so I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm, but it's not exploitative, right? Like, it feels like a farce. So I yeah. think it's very palatable to straight audiences because of what Josh mentioned, the sort of wacky shenanigans. Mm-hmm. It's the same It's the same vibe as, uh, you know, John Waters. It's the same reason that, when, that I was into John Waters at the time. It's because the, the camp, the, the over-the-top elements of everything, that really appealed to me. Sure. And it's what I still sort of gravitate towards. And that sort of overtook any any of the queer overtones yeah. or, or any of that kind of stuff, because that's that was the part that I was attracted to. I mm-hmm. will say, though, there were multiple times watching this where I was like, man, this feels like a John Waters movie. Like, I would love to oh, see yeah. what John sure. Waters does with this screenplay. <laughs> well, because we're saying camp and we're saying queer, but there's also certain elements about this movie that could be deemed offensive or very ostentatious. A little bit, a little bit. You know what? We'll have to talk about that when we go to the plot, because may- maybe I'm just really hard to offend now, because I'm like, this was like a G-rated <laughs> comedy for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, I'm not saying I fall into one of those camps, but I could imagine people being, uh, you know, a little pearl clutching at some of these scenes. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Hopefully not the same people that paid $6 to go and watch it. I mean, you right. kind of know what you're getting into. <laughs> <laughs> but... On top of all this, you know, Valls does say in these interviews, he's like, you know, what's interesting is that in the last five years, and, you know, this this 4K came out last year, so the, since 2018, he's talking about how, yeah, there's been a lot of, like, think pieces and people going back and revisiting this and analyzing the queerness, and now, as Josh said, you see people talking about the queerness a lot more, and Joe, I'm not gonna lie, when mm-hmm. I heard him say that, I was like, maybe he read our editorial. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh la la, I feel so fancy. But um, but yeah, all right. That is how Killer Condom came to be, and what happened to it, and why it's um, you know, getting more popular now. Mm-hmm. Joe, what happens in this movie? <laughs> all right. Before I go into it, I'm going to give credit to James W. Jones for a piece that he wrote in. I love this. The Journal of Homosexuality. There's a piece called Cartoons and AIDS, Safer Sex, HIV, and AIDS in Ralph Koenig's comics, and. 
I'm bringing this up not because it's it does talk a little bit about the source material, not the film, but it gave some really interesting insight into Koning as an artist. And, you know, he was born in the 60s, so he was really coming of age as both a gay man as well as a cartoonist in the height of the AIDS epidemic. And he did a lot of like safe sex advertisements. So he would draw the comic that would accompany safe sex advertisements like wrap it up if you want to stay safe and he had a really tense relationship to the condom specifically like you can track the progression of his work where it was like how do i be a gay man and want to have sex with other men but also i have to be constantly stopping and thinking about okay am i going to get sick from this if i don't do this like what's my risk level that i'm comfortable with and so on so it's interesting that killer condom comes out because it is very much about i want to fuck but also I have to be careful because I could lose my dick. Well, and I want to say, I did not get a chance to watch this, but in 2012, there was a documentary called King of Comics, a tribute to illustrator Ralph Koenig that came out. And you can rent this only on YouTube, but you can rent it on YouTube in the States. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I guess the, the other important thing to note is that we don't know a ton about this guy, like, as a general knowledge piece. But in Germany, he is incredibly popular. He is one of their best-selling authors. He's been translated into 12 different languages and sold 6 million copies. Wow. Maybe that's why the Swiss financiers were like, yeah, it's fine. (laughs) He's well known. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So all that to say, let's now talk about the film. So as Trace mentioned, we open on a low angle shot of a busy intersection in Times Square. And we start to follow a teacher played by Gurm Wameling, as well as what is later revealed to be his 14 year old student, Phyllis, played by Merritt Becker. And they are renting a room at the Hotel Quickie from desk clerk Robinson, who is played by Henning Schluter. I guess this might be the immediate like, oh, we're watching a movie about rape. (laughs) Yeah, but presented very comedically because the whole interaction between these two is, well, do you want to do well on your exam? You need to put out for teacher. Well, she's also a virgin because she says later, like, is this what sex is always like? Well, she's 14. Yeah, yeah. uh, her character is 14. Her her character is 14. This actress looks about 28 years old. Yeah, this is actually the second scene in the book. Uh, The book opens on a much sleazier sequence, actually, uh, of a male sex worker coming home to his wife after having had a trick go wrong. And he Mm. ends up with a a dick stuck up his ass after one of the killer condoms had attacked him. (gasps) Oh, and so dear. he has to go to the toilet and shit it out. What? Yeah. <laughs> so they left that part out. Why they left it out, who knows? That <laughs> That is quite the opener, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my god. You know what? Remake it. Remake it. Make it make it an American movie. We can do this now. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but no, the, the immediate because like you know, we live in a heightened reality in this movie. I mean, we should also right. point out, yeah, you know, we're in New York with a cast full of German speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, even like the Republican candidate for president speaks German in this movie. Yep. But even from a stylistic standpoint, um, they get to the room and Phyllis, the girl, screams at this guy no when she doesn't want him to touch her. Mm-hmm. But then he gets like trapped in a wind tunnel. <laughs> when she's screaming at him i love that i think i was like okay this immediately sets the tone of what kind of movie i am in for 
Yeah, and you can see even just the way that she's dressed. She, I mean, it is basically the beginning of a porno, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah, yeah. You know, the teacher who wants who wants to, or the girl who needs her grade to be raised. You know, or anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the beginning of that. She's wearing you know the knee socks and the whole thing, and the way she's even. And this is maybe just my my male gaze talking. So apologies yeah. in advance for this. But she's sitting on the bed, sort of leaning back on her elbows, and the mm-hmm. you can see the the her shirt is stretching at the buttons. It's gaping like because it's a little bit too small. It looks like a comic. It looks like a Robert Crumb right. comic. The way that she's sitting. Yeah, there's something so cartoony, and this opening scene really sets that tone to the point that, Trace, I was surprised that you said they even got some of this footage in New York, because I assumed that this was just recreated on a soundstage. Like, this is 100% Germany does New York. Like, what do we think Americans are like Mm -hmm. via Germany? There, there's a really funny story from Valls because he had been to, as I said, you know, he went to NYU for six weeks to do a crash course on filmmaking. He had been several times. And I guess, though, they were coming to do like a day or two of exterior shots at New York. And they got to the people and the people, assuming they were just silly Germans who didn't know their way around the city, was like, OK, cool. We can go here, 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 thinking they just wanted to, like, have shots of a taxi driving by a street. And Ooh. Valls was like, no, this isn't want... going to work for us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so. Fun fact, you cannot apparently film the front of a police station um, for a movie. So, like, anytime you see that in a movie, it's always fake in New York. Uh, But, like, you know, he wanted this manhole shot in the opening. And they were like, you can't do that. And he was like, I fucking can. And I'm going to get in Times Square. And he did. (laughs) Wow. That is guerrilla filmmaking right there. Well, yeah. uh So so he kind of showed them off. He was like, yeah, I could tell that they were like, oh, he's not just a silly German making his first visit to America. Nice. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, even in Koenig's work, apparently, he's often interrogating the relationship between Germany and the U.S., so it's not surprising that this is actually set in the States. I think there's also a pretty comedic condemnation of U.S. politics and the way that we handle sensationalism Mm -hmm. and, of course, uh, the approach to queerness and AIDS. That's also where the John Waters aspect comes in for me. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the teacher tries to pressure Phyllis into having sex, and she reluctantly agrees, but when she puts on the free bedside condom, which squeaks when you touch it... It's so cute! (laughs) It's kind of adorable. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, this thing bites off his dick. We don't see it, we just see the blood spray on her face as she screams. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, very offensive. We then get this extremely comic title font over two flickering U.S. flags. <laughs> it's animated. Oh, also, honestly, parts of this movie also reminded me of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I can see, see that. that. Not just, I mean, the macaroni character is very much, oh, a German Bob Hoskins. Uh, mm-hmm. But like it, after the elevator scene, you know, when they walk out of the elevator having sex and his tie is bent up in a really cartoonish mm-hmm. way. I was like, this mm-hmm. just feels like a live action cartoon. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we are introduced to Detective Luigi Macaroni. <laughs> are you going to laugh every time? <laughs> I'm going to try not to, but honestly, even just writing it out. <laughs> was like the silliest stupidest thing i've had to do in quite some time <laughs> i believe luigi was an addition of the film Mac- he's macaroni in the book but i don't think right. that luigi was in there which just makes it better yeah, it's a oh, yeah. Perfect, perfectly <laughs> italian name yeah well it, it it feels like what you just described about vols's trip trace where what would americans think 
a ridiculous name would be, but also, you know, okay, well, he's from Sicily, so I guess he must be a Luigi. He must like macaroni. Do you think they debated calling him Mario Macaroni? (laughs) Ooh... (laughs) I mean, I think this alliteration is, is just too far. Yeah, I know. Is a step too far. <laughs> this is a serious film, right? Very serious. So much so that we have to trot out all of the tried and true cop tropes, right? So our introduction to Luigi Macaroni is that he is smoking in all of these non-smoking areas because he is the cop who marches to the beat of his own drum. Yeah, we've got a stealth neo-noir on our hands here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it feels very indebted to something like a lethal weapon right oh i have yes i have notes about that in a little bit um oh something okay. like that also you know the like you said the the sort of noir uh the hard-boiled uh mm-hmm. detective kind of thing uh it's like a, like you said bob hoskins is a is an obvious physical mm-hmm. comparison mm-hmm. but uh yeah and the fact that you never ever actually see his eyes in the entire film i don't believe he's always got those shades on really oh. I think so. well maybe he's in the shower he probably he might have the shades on in the shower i mean he Remember. is often wearing the shades yeah yes. he's too cool for school to the yeah. point that even his love interest says so i will say yeah. though i and maybe this is just my aversion to cop procedurals or cop characters or this kind of like butch type of gay man but i was fully mm-hmm. expecting to find this character like unlikable the first time i watched this and i oh. adore this character I mean, he's deliberately off-putting initially because he's so artificially gruff. But then you realize, oh, it's because he's actually hiding all of his inner securities. And really, he's a sweetheart. Yeah, he's a teddy bear. Yeah. I mean, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so he goes into the 18th police precinct and we are introduced to the captain, who is played by Ron Williams. And Luigi is assigned this case. We've got four severed dicks. (laughs) <laughs> and they're lined up in the hospital, so something needs to be done about this. <laughs> this was the the yelling police captain. That's the that's the uh-huh. one I was going for a second ago. That's straight out of all of those uh, late eighties cop movies. Hundred percent. Yeah. The yelling police, and I also adore walking through those you know eighties and nineties police precincts and seeing all the sex workers just sitting there in the most ridiculous outfits and mm-hmm. hoodlums sitting there. Uh, I love just seeing the the background actors and all those things they're always great oh, hmm. always yeah it's how do we set decorate this so mm-hmm. that we can really communicate how sleazy this is oh it's definitely going to be racialized figures sex workers and probably a thug or two right just yeah. a little bit um <laughs> i will say i laugh every time they say like cocks or dicks or not penises but we're like we got four cocks lying on a table in there it's like okay mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> talk about okay. a deadly drinking game <laughs> oh boy i mean mine is you'll you'll very quickly hear how i'm going to pronounce a certain word but yes there is another drink you gave in here as well it needs to be the only rule <laughs> yeah otherwise you will die you will <laughs> yeah so uh okay macaroni's first task on getting this case is that he needs to go and talk to phyllis's parents and this is where we learn yeah she is 14 and that this is a family from farmville oklahoma (laughs) just so stupid if you didn't know where that was you just look at their outfits and you can pretty much figure it out Mm -hmm. their clothes are delightful Okay, I, I had to like Google this to be like, wait, is there a Farmville, Oklahoma? And there is a Farmville, just not okay. in Oklahoma. Ah, oh, bummer. <laughs> They're from Farmville, the the mobile game. 
Right. That's what I was thinking, too. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, Luigi tries to explain, well, I mean, at this point, they still think that the girl bit off the dick. So he's trying to inform the parents, yeah, the big city changes you. It makes weird things happen. It's bad. It's seedy. It's dirty. And when he explains all of this, the mother faints and we get a comedic sound effect of a plane crash. (laughs) (laughs) Again, that's very John Waters. Um. Did, did they make a comment about this? Because I feel like once they investigate the severed dick, you would notice that the teeth marks on it do not match up with this girl. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think that they found the dick. Did they Did they find it? it it's, it's unclear. Well, oh. can't they still investigate the severed wound on the man? That's possible. Right. That is true. Again, not that I'm going for like ultra realism in a movie called Killer Condom, but <laughs> although funny, funnily enough, one of my other one of and there's lots of great lines in this. You guys know this. One of the the great lines is when he goes when Macaroni goes to the the hotel to investigate, and he tells the manager mm-hmm. that she was underage and she probably still had her baby teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay, that's what I was talking about because I thought I thought he was trying to say that the teeth marks on the wound made it look like it was baby teeth that had done it, but I, yeah, yeah. yeah. If she hadn't bitten down so hard, he would have thought she still had baby teeth. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Thank Rough. you. Thank you. Oh boy. <laughs> As we said, uh, this film is not going to be for everybody. <laughs> okay. So yeah, we get some hard-boiled detective voiceover as Macaroni makes his way over in traffic, and then when he arrives at the hotel quickie, we are introduced to his ex. I'm going to say drag queen lounge singer Babette, played by Leonard Lansink. I debated whether or not to say that this character is trans. Yeah. It's a toss-up. This is, I think, a recent development because, of course, everyone is still upset that Bob, I'm dead naming using air quotes, used to be a member of the police force, but it's unclear how Babette actually identifies throughout the course of the film yeah i will say that it's made it's made a bit more clear in the comic okay the babette character isn't named but the character that's clearly modeled off of in the comic is because she she is drawn nude Mm. is a trans woman who has had top surgery but not bottom surgery oh oh Hmm, Which okay. doesn't feel like the same case in the in the movie. Like it's hard to tell, obviously, because we don't we don't see her naked. But they right. also talk about her having you know hormone treatments and things like that. Yeah, it's it's kind of as an insult coming from macaroni. So it's debatable as to whether it's uh, true or not. But it's mm-hmm. it's it's something that's said. Yeah, because we're throwing around the word transvestite in this movie a few times, right? This is also true. Yeah, I mean, and that's a bit of a product of the time, right? I think that, yeah. to me, speaks the most late 90s or mid 90s, I guess. Yeah, I mean, well, granted, we have a lot of like back and forth because Babette does call Macaroni a fag in this scene, too. Yes, yep, she definitely uses an F-slur. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I... So wait, do we want to do we want to read Babette as trans and use she, her pronouns? I am going to use she pronouns okay. throughout the rest of it. Even if she only identifies as a drag queen throughout the film, she presents as female for the entirety of the movie. Oh, you know what? That's a good point. Because we never That's see where I was her going, in yeah. drag. Yeah. 
So yes, uh, so we are introduced to Babette. One of the other things that makes Luigi a little unlikable is that he doesn't make much of an effort to acknowledge that Babette has changed her name, changed her look, and so on. And in part, I think it's because he doesn't take her seriously, because of course their relationship stems from three minutes of sexual intercourse and a mommy fixation. But they were former partners, right? They were. Police partners, not romantic partners, right? So... (laughs) And maybe I'm being too generous here, but I actually do read this as Luigi feeling abandoned by Babette. Yeah, I think that's a fair reading. Not not, not to defend his words against her, (laughs) but just more so that I I think it comes from that more so than his like prejudice against her uh, transness. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's more of a, a personal sense of betrayal and however you want to read that. Yeah. It, yeah, it feels more like he's going in on her as the crazy ex-girlfriend than mm-hmm. as the now trans woman. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to be fair, Babette does do some really fucked up shit. She can be shady, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> she tries to stab him! She... <laughs> Oh, that feels comedic. Come on. She wasn't going to follow through, was she? Fuck me or I'll cut your penis off. That. (laughs) I mean, that's just every erotic thriller, baby. Obviously. Obviously. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. So, yes, uh, Babette is trying to get his attention. But unfortunately for her, Luigi has eyes for sex worker Billy, played by Marco Richter, who is new to the hotel quickie. Who doesn't have eyes for this guy? This guy is awesome. Oh, he is twinky dreamboat delicious. Although, y'all, I'm going to tell you, um, I, th- <laughs> I I like a lot of body types. Um, I was mm-hmm. very turned on by macaroni in this movie. I, <laughs> I I think I'm entering my Bob Hoskins era where I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I do like that. I, I, not No shade on the body type, of course, but like I was very much like, a, I'm really feeling macaroni in this movie. And not just because of the 32 centimeter penis. <laughs> you know he's 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 predating the dad bod uh mm-hmm. yeah and representing uh proud loud and proud for all of us uh slightly pudgy dudes yeah <laughs> he, he's got a little bit of dough on him one of the things i like the most about this movie especially on repeat watches is how sex positive it is like oh yeah sure we're we're yeah. coming down a little hard on sex workers but the film is not the film is not well other characters are i don't think the movie is but especially in the depiction of macaroni's sexuality and how unabashedly attractive he is to a wide variety of people i'm just like yes i love this this is fantastic yeah i mean it's a thing where like again for 1996 slash 99 if you were in the states i i just watched this and i'm like i am shocked that they got away sounds like a bad phrase but just like i'm surprised that they they were this progressive at the time and that mm-hmm. at the time they didn't think they were being that progressive right yeah we're just making a silly comedy yeah and i feel like that's that's kind of the that's how it hit we we talked about this earlier that's kind of how it hit my section of the audience was that right. it just wasn't a big deal it's just it's just how these people lived and i just want to watch how these people are living in this crazy situation right i just want to watch yeah. killer condom yeah exactly i'm here for the killer condom i just happen to also be watching these queer people living their sexually active life what (laughs) a concept it's like your people it's like gays or people yeah yes exactly (laughs) that (laughs) news at 10 (laughs) 
Okay, so after we have dealt with Babette, yes, we've dropped an Essler. Macaroni gets very upset. Uh, clearly not into labels, this one. So we take Billy into the hotel bedroom. We strip, and in shadow, we see the 32 centimeter, which translates, by the way, for American friends, uh, this would be a nearly 12.6 inch cock. Don't worry, because I, I don't know centimeters, but I do know 30 centimeters is 12 inches. And so when he said 32, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I see what you're working with. <laughs> I mean, we see it visually. <laughs> we never see this cock, and it's really no. upsetting to me, because I wanted to see this prosthetic. No, it's funnier to see it in shadow. Well, but the, but the, the way it's revealed is via silhouette on Billy's <laughs> face as he gets... I mean, you kind of see its outline in his boxers, which, by the way, mm-hmm. it looks like the girth of this thing i don't mm-hmm. <laughs> billy's like yeah i'll take it and i was like oh my god like my asshole puckered at the thought of that like <laughs> it hurt me to go back to the book to go back to the book the book does show him nude because of course okay. it does. <laughs> and i love this we're all gonna have to pick up this comic by the way yeah. it is it looks sort of like a paint can hanging off the middle of it. <laughs> oh no so chode. It, yeah, it doesn't look like it is 32 centimeters okay. long, but perhaps around in the comic It's got book. the girth. And they do they do make mention of that when he when he does eventually consummate with Billy that it's a challenge. Oh boy. Okay. A challenge. <laughs> it's like conquering Mount Everest of dicks. Oh man. Also, I can't help but feel that he would be woozy from all of the blood loss going to another <laughs> right? part of his body, would he not? I mean, yeah do y'all know anyone with a 32 centimeter dick we can ask them about it there are actually stories of uh from from porn stars back in in the right. olden days about john holmes you know john holmes famously was huge sure. and a lot of the people that he worked with would say that he never quite got all the way hard because there just wasn't enough blood in his body right to, to fill the thing john needs a transfusion he's trying to get hard yeah <laughs> right back i'm just googling all of this really quick just so i can see oh my god <laughs> what do you not know who john holmes is never heard of him oh uh, straight porn star admittedly yeah oh well he did some gay work too so i'm just i'm, just, I'm looking at a woman like giving him a blowjob and just, her mouth is just like full <laughs> like so full <laughs> yeah it's a full-on meal and dessert i guess <laughs> Okay, so we are going to try to consummate this, and unfortunately, we have a killer condom in the room, so we're back to squeaking this thing. I think we get a couple of POV shots from the condom's perspective as it hides under the bed, under a chair, and eventually it grabs Luigi's right testicle. Okay, but you're leaving out the best part that we get condom vision? I just said it. Oh, (laughs) Sorry, yes. I was still looking at John Holmes's dick. <laughs> Trace, focus, focus, come back to us. Put aside the John Holmes dick and come back to the podcast. Okay. Anyway, um, let me reiterate. I love the condom vision in this movie. It's great. Yes. It is. <laughs> it's very funny. Honestly, between the point of view shot and the sound effects, it just, it's so silly and so funny. I'm just going to keep saying that. I know. I love the way they just sort of squeal and squeak as they as they mm-hmm. go around on the ground and fly across right through the air. It's really cute. They're so cute. Like, if they weren't biting mm-hmm. off dicks, honestly, when they're still rolled up, they look really cute. And it's only when they yes. get rolled down that their fangs emerge. Yeah. Yeah. And those fangs look great. I do. <laughs> I love, though, the re- like, whenever Billy pulls out the black condom, 
mm-hmm. it like makes this like it's offended <laughs> that he yeah. would bring in an outside condom. <laughs> How dare you thwart my plans? I was hungry. I was going to eat that dick. And we will begin a slew of hilarious lines about these condoms, including there's a cock eating condom up in that hotel room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So Macaroni is taken to the hospital. This is where he is visited by his partner, Sam Hanks, who is played by Peter Lohmeyer. And Sam does not believe the story about the killer condom. He believes it is the Twinkie sex worker. And this is also our very brief introduction to Dr. Doris Riffleson, who is played by Iris Bourbon. Um, Keep her on your memory, y'all, because she is the best part of the last 10 minutes of this movie. And probably the most most well-known of the actors in the film apart from Udo Sommel. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I was going to tell y'all, in case y'all didn't know, she was in last last year's Triangle of Sadness. Yeah, I I cannot <laughs> place her in that film, but She's I in the wheelchair, she can't shock. speak. Oh, is she? Okay, okay. I mean, there's, there's obviously other things she's been in, but that's the most recent one that I was like, oh, I know mm-hmm. that one. You yeah. mean Oscar-nominated? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one. <laughs> Okay, so we get a montage of Johns getting their dicks attacked, and then Macaroni yells in Sam's face in the precinct. He's remarkably agile considering he has lost a testicle, but he's back at work, and apparently we are now up to 13 severed penises. Well, I love that he thinks it's just one condom because he he says it's got 13 cocks on its conscience, 13 cocks and one ball. <laughs> uh-huh. See, this is a que- this is a question that I have and I want to I want to get you guys uh, input on this. Um, yes. because in in the book it's pretty clear that it is a single condom, but the book oh. doesn't go all the way to the end where we see the condom training facility. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it could be that it is a single condom doing these initial attacks. Right. Because we don't really see like the army until a little bit later. That is Uh true. I'm not sure. I don't really know the answer to that. It feels like it could be one. This is me trying to like impose reality on this non-real movie, but it's like... Oh boy, okay. (laughs) Okay, so the the condom gets on the dick, bites it Mm -hmm. off, and then somehow rolls itself off of the dick, cleans all the blood off of it, and then squeezes its way back into the box on the bedside table. Mm Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay, cool. What's the yeah. problem? Nope, that, that's it. <laughs> I, I just had to talk it out. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Well, and especially when we learn later on that they're not extremely sentient, like they are genetically modified or manufactured organisms, but it's not like they really have brains. They seem to have a single desire. So it's hard to imagine that these things would know how to clean up after themselves or even hide all that effectively. I mean, it knows how to feel jealousy over another condom. That is true. You know what? Shock me and surprise me, killer condom. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, Luigi goes back to the hotel quickie to question Robinson, the desk clerk, about the condom supplier. And this is when Luigi also lies to Babette. He says, oh, yeah, I fully lost my dick. So I'm out of commission, baby. (laughs) Can't fuck you. Sorry. Move on. Mm-hmm. So while this is happening, he is observed in an alley by an Asian man who is played by Weijing Liu. And I'm going to say this now because it's going to get very tiring to have to describe this character that way. I wish that they had a name other than Dr. Riffleson's assistant. Well, I'm surprised they didn't call him Dr. Riffleson's Asian assistant. Right. It's... Yeah. 
And also, though, this character, I, I guess we have this character so we don't reveal Dr. Riffleson as the bad guy so mm-hmm. soon. But it's also kind of like, who could care? This character's not a character because he's only there to postpone the reveal of Dr. Riffleson, which really isn't that much a reveal anyway because she's mm-hmm. not that much of a character before the end of this movie. No, but hypothetically, without this henchman, you would need to have her in play. I guess for my taste, it's just a little frustrating that we basically have two characters of color in this movie. We've got the irate police captain, and then we have this character. And you could argue that neither depiction is super great. Maybe it's a movie filled with not great depictions, but it's just like, I don't know. This character was not my favorite. No, he's not a character. Well, (laughs) I mean, most of these people are not characters, are they? (laughs) All this to say, uh, Luigi ends up walking home and Billy is waiting for him. So our romantic connection remains intact. But unfortunately, because Macaroni doesn't do romance or dates, Billy ends up leaving. This is the romance for the ages, though. (laughs) Truly, now that they have found each other, they have to do the will they won't they before they can ride off into the Sicilian sunset together. Josh, was this Billy character the love interest in the book you read? Yes, he's not named, but it is the it is the same. It's obviously the same character, and it's actually a much mm. bigger part of the book. Oh, really? Than it okay. is in the film. That's kind of my thing. So I actually find their romance very like interesting. It's like, sweet. I, want, mm-hmm. I want more of it in the movie. I'm so when yeah. they finally do fuck, it's very cathartic. But mm-hmm. um, but I, I think yeah, that that combining two books, even though I'm assuming like how long is that comic book you read? That's about 60 pages. Oh, Jesus. Okay. okay, so yeah. Combining two short books into the one movie, I guess I can see maybe where it's maybe too many elements in here, which contributes to those pacing issues. But I would have loved to have had more focus on the Billy character because he seems to disappear for chunks at a time in this movie. Yeah, and that's one of my big things about the... One of the things I wish was a little better handled was the relationship with Billy because mm-hmm. we can clearly see there's chemistry there, but there's not really anything developed no uh, in any sort of sustained way throughout the film. well but i'm glad you mentioned that though because the chemistry hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Is there with those oh, actors? Like it is sure. there. These two have very good chemistry. It's hot. It's so it hot. Is hot. <laughs> yeah, like you said, Trace. It's not just cathartic. It is hot when they get down to fucking. In the oh elevator. my god! Yes, and everyone else in the movie agrees <laughs> to the point <laughs> where we short circuit the elevator and then everyone claps. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's a there's a paparazzo at the end also with the when they step out as well. So right. I love all of it. I do think that might be one of my favorite scenes in this film because it is so over the top ridiculous and very gratifying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We should note that Dr. Riffleson does appear in the second comic. So that may also be a reason why she doesn't appear in the first half of the film because her character doesn't show up until the second book. Yeah, the the book, the first book doesn't have any real explanation as to where these condoms have come from or why they're there. Okay. It's just sort of a random monster book. Right. Hmm. Yes. 
So Billy has left, and sometime later, this is where Sam, the partner, sees Babette as they're looking at surveillance footage of the hotel quickie, and he is sickened. So if we are dealing with potential homophobia, it is coming from the direction of Sam. So, okay, what do you think of this character? I feel like for the time he could be sort of an audience surrogate for a certain segment of a straight audience, but not yeah. the segment that would go see Killer Condom, I don't think. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I I feel like he, yes, he's sickened, but I think it's more because of the, the nature of the kink than necessarily the, the, mm, the yeah. homosexual part of the relationship. And when he, when he goes later on to the, to the gay bar, he's game in his performance there until it goes uh, right. south on him. You know. If it could have stayed in G-rated territory, he probably right. would have been fine. If the hankies were not involved, he would have been just fine. Well, yes. to be fair, he was told that hanky was to ward off sexes. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. This is true. So, uh, yes, we, we are watching Babette perform some fairly light BDSM on a client in the Hotel Quickie. And Luigi gets very startled because he believes when she starts to put on a condom that it could attack her. So he barges in. It turns out the condom is fine. But uh, in the meantime... (laughs) Wait, but one of the funniest lines for me is after he shoots this condom in midair, Mm -hmm. he just tells them, oh, I wouldn't use that condom anymore. There's holes in it. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. Yeah, and I would argue that I think that's probably part of Koenig's sense of humor, right? Where he's saying, okay, we have to put on these condoms, but also, I guess, you know, like, wouldn't it be funny to make a joke about finding holes in the condom? Right. So, yes, uh, that condom is safe, unfortunately. In the meantime, a condom has absconded with somebody else's dick, so we do get to watch a killer condom filled with dick scampering down the hallway a sex worker scream so this is the scene that there's a lot of extra shots in the director's cut that are more graphic okay yeah because you could fully see a severed penis in this thing oh yeah Yeah. and it's clearly like on a string being tugged down the hallway but who cares because it still looks really cute it's (laughs) hilarious yeah and it squeaks (laughs) it does squeak so after the cops have been on the scene and another attack still occurred, the captain is not pleased with the optics. He does not want to hear about a killer condom. So he says, if I keep hearing about this, I'm going to take your badge to Luigi. But when Sam says, oh, well, I think it was your twink, Luigi gets very upset. He wants to defend his potential paramour. So he yells at all of his colleagues in the precinct that sex workers are cleared from questioning. And that is because it is a killer condom. So he is put on temporary vacation. But again, this immediately, like, if if you found Macaroni prickly before this moment, where you're like, ooh, I don't like how he's treating Babette. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the first step on his redemption arc for me. Sure. Yeah. He's stepping up for the people who are most at risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also love that on Billy's wanted poster, it just says, like, I think it says wanted for crimes against nature. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of thinly veiled criticism of homophobia and the way that we are treated as deviants and undesirables oh, and that kind of stuff. I thought he the crime against nature was biting off a testicle. 
I mean, I guess you could read it both ways. <laughs> That's me, the ever the optimist. It feels more like in the the John Waters sense of you know how being queer is an act of defiance against you sure. know, the, the status quo right. in general. That feels like more mm-hmm. for me where where it's going with that particular. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, being queer is political for sure. Yeah. What? I know it's shocking. <laughs> Never voted a day in my life. <laughs> That's a lie. I have I have voted. <laughs> you just lived in Texas, so it didn't mean anything. Oh, yeah, boy. yes, exactly. Although we, we, you know what? We came really close in that Biden Trump election to turning blue. We did really we close. Mm-hmm. Just came right up to the edge, kissed it, and walked it back. It's sort of waiting on the oldies to die off and more of Gen Z. What's after Gen Z? Is it Gen Alpha? Oh, fuck if I know. Okay. Is that the Zennials? Is Zennials? Zennials? We're waiting on the kids to grow up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't like how many generations before us have said the exact same thing. But it, I think it keeps, well, you know, I was going to say it keeps getting better, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Circle back at the end of the year. We'll see how 2024 is doing. <laughs> we'll see. Everyone, hold us to that. Reach out and say, <laughs> is it everything you would have hoped for it. and more? I'm not responsible. <laughs> We'll hold trace to that. There we go. Thank you. Okay. So Luigi goes to Billy's apartment, which of course is being searched because he is a suspect. So he orders the beat cops to leave and then he plays the answering machine and it is filled with messages from lovers who have had an absolutely fantastic time with this twing. And Luigi's like, well, fuck. Well, I think it's more like clients. He knows he's a sex worker, so... Oh, sure. Yeah. Getting getting phone calls from clients is, is one thing. Also, about the decor in that... Uh, mm-hmm. uh-huh. It is so adolescent. It's, it's There's a giant Beavis and Butthead poster on his mm-hmm. door where they're both... They're mooning the, the person looking at the poster. There's, like, butts and dicks all over the place. But not, uh-huh. like, sexy butts and dicks. Like, teenagers no. looking at, like, haha a butt. It reminds me of Claire's dorm room in Black Christmas, where it's just like, this is a proper lady. And then she's just got like that peace symbol that's made out of naked people behind the door. (laughs) You're just like, yeah, teenagers or Mm -hmm. young adults. They're they're sexy and silly and frivolous. Mm hmm. Uh, okay, so Luigi goes home to shower at his own place. This is where we get a homage to Psycho when Babette breaks in with a knife. Okay, but like, are we actually using Bernard Herrmann's Psycho score here, or is this like a, a play of it to avoid copyright issues? It's a riff, because I think we're doing the same thing with the Jaws theme for uh, oh, the, the Gouverneur. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But again, Babette's like, hey, dude, um, I'm going to stab you or cut your dick off unless you fuck me right now. Mm-hmm. It's very Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> For a sex worker, she's not real great with the seduction part of all of it. She's real blunt, right? Yeah. I mean, she's still learning the tricks of the trade. Until recently, she was a police detective. <laughs> this is This is also true. It's a hard career transition. It's a it's a real left turn. I will yes. say on this, because I couldn't remember on this rewatch if Babette was killed or not. Oh. I remembered her getting killed for some reason, and mm. I kept waiting for it this entire movie, and I was really happy to see that she, or to see, to find out that she does mm. get a happy-ish ending in this movie, and that we're not just, like, burying the transgender person. Right, yeah. True. 
yeah we definitely don't need that uh surprisingly not not many people end up dying in this movie or at least not people that we care about but no yeah no one of consequence no one of consequence i'm i'm always a little dismayed with the resolution of her story because it kind of feels like we're just transferring our affection onto another person that we can't possibly be with we are also though a lot of that ending is director's cut Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, like her meeting the next guy. I think maybe she meets him in the theatrical cut, but there's a longer conversation between them in the director's cut. Well, conversation. Babette's, like, you know, obsessing over this person. Yeah. (laughs) I want to say really quickly, I believe that there is a huge missed opportunity here to Mm -hmm. actually show the prosthetic that was built for Macaroni in the shower sequence. Although, in keeping in the spirit of Psycho, you don't see, uh, you know, Janet Lee right naked either in that so it kind of fits but you do get a tiny bit of the tip of his dong in just a minute mm. the tip of his dong is that yeah, is that yeah. do you use dong frequently josh i don't but i wrote it in my notes <laughs> i love that i often use the word dong because i think it's hilarious sounding. it is a funny word do you use dong mid coitus joe uh why do you want to know well because <laughs> i just find it really funny because i can't imagine Using no, the who word who dong. would say the word dong during sex? You trace? just Come said on, you use the word dong. I was just asking if, if it's a logical next step to be like, no. well, do you say it when you're fucking? No, I'm saying it in like casual conversation when I'm trying to irritate my husband. <laughs> Get ready um, for this dong, babe. Exactly. <laughs> if he says anything around the word tip, I'm just like there, like a cat ready to spring on him. Oh, do you mean the tip of your dong? Tip of your dick. Tip of your penis. I never say dong. It's hilarious. Get on board. It's a dong train. It's totally Rufus. Come on. (laughs) Dong train. The dong train. (laughs) Oh my god. It's a train shaped like a dick, but also people mistake it for the Oscar Mayer Wiener bus. Well, well, no, because it would have to be multiple dongs chained together if it's a dong train. Would still watch it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think John Holmes probably did something like that too. Right. I've, you know, <laughs> I was like, I've closed out of all those windows, but oops, no, I have his Wikipedia page open. Oh my god, Trace, <laughs> come back to the podcast. No, I wasn't reading it; it was just still open from before. <laughs> god. Okay, so after this psycho shower sequence, we learn that there is a killer condom in this crocodile purse that Babette has brought. So we have this extended ridiculous sequence where we are destroying all of Luigi's apartment before we finally use the hose from his stove. So the gas line, he pretends that it is his penis so that he can lure the condom into sucking on it and then it explodes. Okay. I believe you mispronounced that. Try that again. Condom. There we go. There we go. (laughs) I will say um, my one of my favorite details. It's just little details about like the monster in your movie, but whenever he you know entices it, tries to lure it out with his big cock slash this pipe, mm-hmm. the condom smacks its lips. Yep, yeah, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and this is where you see the tip of his like prosthetic oh. hanging right below the towel as he's right. like chasing him around. Yes, because, of course, he has to fling the towel because he needs both yeah. hands. I didn't catch that. I'm going to have to go back and watch that. It's in 4K, man. You can see it clear as oh, day. You okay. can see everything. <laughs> I, whenever we really push one of these physical releases, I'm like, oh, people are going to think we're, like, we're paid to, to say this. Y'all, we are not being advertised. We're not being paid to advertise this, this 4K. It's a great mm-hmm. 4K set, and this transfer is really fucking good. As yes. Josh said, you can see the tip of a dong on it. Come on. <laughs> 
I will also say that this is where the book cuts out. Oh, really? The okay. Book ends. You'll you'll say in a second that the, the the condom explodes because they can't turn the thing off. Right. In the book, they fill the the condom with the gas mm-hmm. and then tie it off, and it floats away, and he shoots it, and that's basically the end of the book. Oh, that's oh so it's kind of fun too. Oh yeah. wait, but if it's the only condom that he right. solved the crime. Mm. Yes, that's that's the point in the book. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's you know, and it's Billy. It's Billy in there with him doing all of this because they've like right. decided to to start a relationship. Right. Huh. Okay. Huh. Okay. I think that works in terms of a closed ended narrative for yes. a comic. It's funny. I would have thought that it ended later because it doesn't feel like a rocky transition to move into the next part of the film. Well, but I'd be really curious then to know if the second book is about like a worldwide takeover because that's where we go from here, right? Like the cons, everyone knows about it. It's on the news. Like these cons are taking over the city. And I would Mm -hmm. love to know if the second book is about that or if it's more like a contained macaroni story. So the second book, uh, just having read about it, is a story called Down to the Bone. It's set in the S&M bars with macaroni, and there's a serial killer who is killing uh, gay people and leaving nothing but the bones. Oh, so it's cruising. It's essentially cruising, yeah. Which you can see because we're doing the whole undercover cop thing who is reticent to engage with the queer community in Sam. And that's the part that's borrowed from that second book. Right, Ah, as well as Dr. Riffleson. Yeah. And her agenda is the same, so she's a, a wacky Christian sort of cult leader. Oh, God. I, I think half of my notes in the last 10 minutes of this movie are just her lines. Oh, they are so much. She's <laughs> I'm like looking through my pages of notes like, yep, yeah. <laughs> another Rivelson quote. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's get there. So uh, first we have to go, because it's a cop film, we need to go to the morgue. So we stop in with smoking forensic Dr. Wilma, who is played by Evelyn Koenig. So she's smoking during this. We're getting to see these Geiger-informed creature designs up close and personal. Looks amazing. Yeah, this is a complex organism with razor-sharp, flexible teeth that we get to see in close-up. And um, then we end this scene with a horribly inappropriate fat joke, which I didn't love the fat phobia of it, but I did enjoy the joke where it's like, is it sex or is it murder? Because she sat on her lover's face and suffocated him to death. But then let's keep making comments about the pubic hair that's still on his face. She thought it was really funny, though. And you know what? I laughed right along with her. Yeah. Yeah. We can call it out and still laugh. Both things can be true. There's just her exact quote when she's, which I will say the dissection of this condom, quote unquote condom, Mm -hmm. uh, is really cool looking. But yeah, it's not an animal in that sense. And I just, again, hearing this like professional, quote unquote, uh, uh, forensic uh, woman. Forensic doctor. It doesn't eat the dicks. (laughs) 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 I mean, this lady has a bit of a blue mouth, right? Like she's not afraid of talking a a sexy streak. (laughs) Like they walk away and she opens them out. She's like, look at all the pubic hair. (laughs) (laughs) But this feels like a cop trope, right? I mean, we've seen so many variations of the coroner who's eating while dissecting, right? This feels on par with that. Where's the sandwich? Where's the sandwich? Mm -hmm. She's smoking instead. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's Germany. Everybody's. Oh, uh, sorry. It's New York City. Everyone's smoking. I mean, it's 1996, everyone's smoking. Well, there is also that. That, that That's reality. <laughs> very true. 
<laughs> inside. Okay. In, well, you know, yeah. actually, you know, I was about to defend that, but then I was like, no, because no. when I was in college, I definitely had an ex who smoked inside his apartment. And it's not, not only does it turn your white walls yellow, it makes everything smell horrible. Even for someone who does frequently enjoy the smell of cigarette smoke, Damn. it's horrible. Yeah. Enjoy the smell of cigarettes. No. Well, okay, so uh, not inside, uh, not in a stagnant room. But like you walk into a bar, you walk to the patio, and you can just smell people smoking. I love the smell of that. Yeah. But but the stale, stagnant like stench of cigarette smoke on couch fabric is horrendous. <laughs> I don't know that you're convincing anybody one way or another. I'm not. But I'm sure. not telling y'all to go out and smoke cigarettes. I'm just saying, like I I you know. In moments of inebriation, I catch a whiff of cigarette smoke, and my old smoker self comes out, and I'm like, "Ooh, <laughs> someone's got a cigarette." <laughs> I think uh, I think Joni's edit that and just get the part where it's where Trey says, "Go out and smoke cigarettes." I think right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's blackmail, baby, blackmail for days. If you take nothing away from this episode, it is that you should not pay attention to school and just watch a lot of movies. That's from Josh. Uh, you should appreciate the stale smell of cigarette. That's from Trace, and you should say the word "dong." Dong-da-dong-dong-dong. That's my contribution. Yours isn't bad enough. We need to we need to find you something that's like really detrimental to your career. Oh, that sounds great. I'm loving that for me. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Okay. So uh Sam is still not on board with the fact that Luigi is a total homosexual. So he suggests that he's really sexy to women and he should try dating them. And I really, really appreciate this line. This movie yep. is very silly and stupid mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But when Luigi claps back, he says, I need you to tolerate, accept, and understand once and for all. Okay, that is wait. not happening. You're leaving out the best part of this line, though, which okay. is, I'd rather have a man's tight ass than your mm-hmm. boobs and piss flaps. And let's get this clear. I want you to tolerate, accept, and understand that once and for all. <laughs> Okay, so I maybe censored it a little bit, mostly because the word piss Piss flaps flaps is so (laughs) gross. Oh my god. Okay, so I'm dating this because this comes out in 2024, but I'm watching like all my Oscar screeners. And did y'all watch Dicks the Musical yet? I have not. I haven't yet. No, it's on my list. Okay, here's the thing. It is grating. It's uh, the the beginning of that movie is so fucking grating. But there's an entire plot point about how Mega Mullally's character's pussy fell off. <laughs> oh, and it's it in her bag, a isn't it? Right? Plot point where she just has her CGI pussy in her bag right. that will then fly out and attack people. <laughs> ah, so it's a good double bills. What you're saying? Well, because the the phrase piss flaps really got to me. But I was like, well, it is flapping. So. <laughs> wow. Uh... Further proof that men don't understand women's anatomy as well. Well, the two the two comedy guys, they're gay men, so that makes a lot of sense. Well, um, that explains the incest gay scene in that movie, doesn't it? There's a lot. I, literally, I went from, like, absolutely hating that movie to being like, okay, I kind of get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think like a lot of musicals, it just, it takes a while to find itself, right? It's very try-hard. Like, the first two songs, you're going to mm. be like, ugh, shut up. But then <laughs> Megan Mullally and Nathan Lane come in, and they kind of save the movie. There we go. There we anyway, go. Sorry, you can call that out if you want, but moving on. <laughs> okay, so after this encounter with Sam, this prompts Macaroni to reflect on his 20 years living in New York and what he could have been if he had a state in Sicily, so he could have been a goat farmer. 
and uh, we're getting these absolutely terrible looking still images of like a Sicilian countryside. And then it's revealed they are still images. He's looking in the window of a travel agency. <laughs> okay, Vols does a really good job with reveals like this, though, because uh, mm -hmm. I can't remember when it is. But there is a scene where um, it's him and someone else on like the streets of New York. And it looks like they're up against a backdrop, but then right. Macaroni like turns and walks into the backdrop, which you're like, yeah. oh, it's actually mm -hmm. a real street. Right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And this, this, these, these uh, glamour shots of Sicily were, were out of, you know, budgetary constraints because they'd actually planned to go to Sicily, oh. but then they just couldn't afford uh. it. So they used postcards. I think this works so well, though. Like, I'm it's really funny. glad they shot it this way. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, you know, lack of uh, lack of resources, you know, will help you be creative yeah. with with your solutions. Always. Absolutely. And again, like, I think for a movie that's as ridiculous and campy as this, that mm -hmm. that works as a really good joke for that reveal. Yeah. Well, this kind of thing also reminds me a little bit of the sort of technicolor era of Hollywood. You know, I'm I'm thinking of Down With Love, but Down With Love is actually referencing older films. I was, wait, I'm sorry, the, the Ewan McGregor, Renee Zellweger movie? <laughs> Yeah, because they use a lot of artificial backdrops for mm. city mm. shots, right? Like when we're looking off the balcony of Renee Zellweger's apartment, it's very clearly just cardboard space that they have cut into buildings. And it, it creates that sort of artificial versus reality just disjuncture. And it lends to the overall vibe of the film where it's like it's very fake but also real at the same time, kind of in a Barbie sort of way. Huh. You know, I watched Down With Love back when it first came out, and I didn't like it, but I was very young, and I feel like I might appreciate it more now. Oh, Trace, it is one of my favorite movies. Really? Oh, I didn't yeah. know this about you. Yeah, but also you you need to have an appreciation for the Rock Hudson Doris Day films that it's evoking. It's mm. basically Far From Heaven, only for those kinds of films. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so like a rom-com. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But all that to say, like, I get that kind of vibe from Killer Condom as well, right? You know, that's why I love the idea that this is an all-speaking New York City, because there's just something so artificial and fabricated about that. So I love the Sicilian postcard bit, too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yes, we get to the moment that Josh teased earlier. A horde of condoms crawls out of the sewers. This is really where the movie kind of enters the back half. It feels like we're shifting the narrative into a new direction. And we are introduced to Croatian Tourist, who is played by Adriana Altaras. And she gets attacked on the nose in the park. Sure, why not? sure it's a brief scene you think it's going nowhere like it's just a bit of a comedy bit because we almost immediately transition over to a speech well, mm -hmm. sorry i want to say this this park scene is director's cut right yes so we almost immediately transition over to a speech by religious republican presidential candidate dick mcgovern <laughs> Come on! I didn't know his first name was Dick! <laughs> mm hmm Because the newspapers, after he loses his penis... Oh, Dickless Dick! It's Dickless Dick. Yeah. <laughs> so he is played by Jorg Martin Bode, and uh, a lot of his speech is... A little on the nose, but it's very much, you know, we need to take the deviants and the perverts out of it so that this election becomes all about the normal, righteous majority. Okay, but did y'all catch his one of his slogans was make this country strong again? 
That is yeah. like, how prescient is that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guy is fake as fuck. He's obviously catering to a certain kind of base, planning to get elected. And then I love the fact that when he does lose his dick in a, yes, Jaws-esque themed attack sequence, his like PR handler gets really angry at the captain and says, America will never vote in a dickless man for president. <laughs> Which feels also like a funny gendered backhand, like, we will also never, therefore, elect a woman because she doesn't have a penis. Oh, 100%, that's the implication there. I I will say, I'm a little bummed that this character doesn't have more to do, because you would think he Mm -hmm. would be involved with the Grandmaster plan, right? I mean, he is. He's part of the motivation, but he doesn't come back for it. Right, like, he's not involved, like, he's done. Once he's he's Mm -hmm. dickless, he's out. Yes, well, you know, like in real life, when you're dickless, you're out. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> That's terrible. What a stupid fucking thing to say. <laughs> it's a joke. It's fine. <laughs> okay, so Luigi returns to the hotel quickie so that he can give Babette a travel iron, of all things. But she seems to find it very sweet, even though she doesn't plan to do any traveling. And then Luigi gets jealous because Billy is going upstairs with a John. And I do have to call out this moment. We see this man take off his pants and he has tucked his dress shirt through his briefs. So you can see it sticking out the bottom and it is the stupidest thing. Is it stupid or is it cute? No, it's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. It keeps your shirt in place so that when you're wearing pants, it looks fine. But. The visual is just like, oh, man, this person is not sexy right now. It's not an erotic image for you. Mm-mm. I like the underwear. That's about it. That's about it. <laughs> so, um, yes, when Luigi sees this happening, he is very unhappy. So he ends up going into the elevator to get Billy and bring him down. Billy realizes he can't go through with it because he has seen Luigi in the hotel lobby. So he gets in the elevator to come down and meet him. They meet somewhere in the middle. And as Babette delivers a not enthusiastic performance of Teach Me Tiger by Nino Tempo and April Stevens, they meet in the elevator. They fuck it out to the dismay and then pleasure of the crowd that is gathered below. Another very cartoonish moment as you watch the numbers on the elevator jump all over the place and, you know, start to shake and smoke and all that stuff. (laughs) I love this crew of people who assembles in the lobby as well. You know, it's obviously a hotel for sex workers, so we see a lot of them with their clients. But the range is just kind of wild. You know, there's female sex workers there's male sex workers they're all in different kinds of costumes and they get really really angry until they see that oh the reason we have been delayed so long is because people were having really great sex (laughs) and then they applaud (laughs) honestly okay i I, I, the, the John Waters of it all, I'm like, this honestly feels like a, a, akin to not one of his early works, but to a dirty shame. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Both here are like, Ugh. <laughs> no, neither one of us made that noise. <laughs> a lot of people are like, Ugh. <laughs> it will always hold up a, a spot in my heart if for no other reason that it's been so long since he's done anything at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Josh, that I when I first saw A Dirty Shame, I didn't like it. But then after watching all of his other films, which 
at the time I'd only seen Serial Mom. Oh, ooh. I got it a lot more. Like I watched yeah. it and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I see what he's doing here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not peak waters, but it's no. it's not bad for a contemporary effort. No, it's just like it's the lowest of lowbrow. <laughs> I have to say that I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for Johnny Knoxville. I don't know that he's yeah. a great actor, but he's he's so charming yeah. whenever he's on screen. You know, you know, I, I, I haven't, feel bad. I haven't seen him do anything dramatic enough to make me say yes, he's a good actor. But I do think he's a good comedian. Oh, for there sure. We go. And Selma Blair with what, like double D, triple D? Oh, sir, double those D. Those are like <laughs> those are M or Q or triple triple black diamond okay. or something y'all know they probably call them triple x's in that movie oh i hope so i i in my defense i meant to say w's and then <laughs> for some reason d came out and you just so. said double d <laughs> anyway everyone she has basketball sized titties in this movie yeah they're massive they're so comedically oversized <laughs> it's amazing and <laughs> honestly what makes it even sadder is that that might be one of summer blair's like last like main roles mm-hmm. yeah Ugh. yeah anyway but she's still she's still doing okay. So yeah, she's yeah. Her Watch in. her documentary if y'all haven't. It's really good. That ooh, if you want to cry, yeah. I, okay, <laughs> so this is not related to the film at all. But I watched that movie, and in the first ten minutes, was sobbing. Ugly crying. I, yeah. I had to pause it because I was sobbing so hard. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Okay. So uh, we've had this great sex scene. Everyone's applauding. You think, great, this is the moment where they're finally going to come together. But in a kind of rom-com fashion, Luigi immediately spoils it when we get outside the hotel. And he says, oh, so you're basically just like fucking everyone, right? You've got all these clients. You'll sleep with anyone. And Billy doesn't take it well. So he leaves. Understandably so. I think so. Billy's pretty good at standing up for himself, even if he does keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so this is when Dick McGovern gets his dick bitten off. Obviously, the funny part of the joke is that his secret security detail doesn't even notice that this is happening because they think it's just screams of ecstasy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> So uh, the papers scream dickless dick in the morning, and then we get this slightly amusing moment where we see a toddler approach his mom's, question mark, on the playground, and he is holding a condom, and they're just like, This is funny, though. (laughs) I won't tell you why it's funny, it's just funny. (laughs) It's amusing. It's a sight gig. It's brief, but amusing. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So one of my favorite characters is introduced in the following scene. So Luigi goes back to the precinct and we are introduced to Bronx detective Sally, who is played by Hella Von Sinnen. And this character needed to be in the film more. She's yeah, she's not really much of a character. She's delightful, though. Mm hmm. So similar to the way you described what Phyllis is able to do back at the beginning of the film trace when Sally questions a perp. Just her face alone can raise his hair and solicit a confession immediately. (laughs) Very cartoony. Very Looney Tunes. I I actually wanted more elements like this in the film. Like, it it, is, you can tell this is a live action cartoon, but I wanted more ridiculous things like this, like, like the wind tunnel in that opening scene. Yeah. The condom squeaking and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can agree with that. 
So the reason that she has been introduced is because Luigi needs her to track down details of the demolished church next to the hotel quickie. He thinks that might be involved in the case. This is a bit awkwardly shoehorned in, but it's part of the exposition that's going to apparently explain everything later. I guess. I guess. It's not the film's most successful part. <laughs> no. Okay, so the fear of castration sweeps the city, complete with a crude cartoon drawing that I'm going to assume was done by Koning uh, on the news that night. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the captain, we, we see a couple of sort of back-to-back -back scenes where the captain tries to make excuses for not alerting more people. And he basically says, oh, well, it's because all the previous victims were just queers and hookers. Just queers and hookers. Did you not like, like just like, the hair stand up on the back of your neck when he said that? It felt a little too real, if we're being honest. <laughs> well, but I guess that's that's my question right like how do you juggle the tone of that towards something that, that that is a campy ridiculous comedy but then have it has these elements of oh yeah this is real life we're living mm -hmm. here i you know it that I mean that's if there's ever a question as to whether or not this film had something on its mind that's a point that, yeah uh, or a mm -hmm. point in the film where it becomes very clear that it's not all just squeaky condoms and you know dicks getting bitten off there is a little mm -hmm. bit to say in here uh, is it a bit on the nose certainly sure but it's a it's a it's a point well worth making. I mean, even in 1996, the 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 worst of the AIDS epidemic seemed to be in the in the rear view, but mm -hmm. people were still getting sick. You know. Oh yeah. In big numbers. So. Well, and like you said earlier about how the Sam character may represent certain well-meaning, well-intentioned members of the audience who also sort of needed an education, mm -hmm. I think this captain speaks for a lot of people that Koenig and some of the other people were probably encountering on the daily, right? You know, this yeah. person in a position of power who has the ability to protect vulnerable at-risk community members and instead says, eh, well, they're not the upper east side family that i really need to do my job for well okay so i because I, I feel like um josh i think maybe it was you that said oh yeah this is for this type of audience but like i don't know why this type of audience would be watching this film to begin with and that's always a fascinating thing that i see in critiques a lot where it's like oh yeah like this is clearly like a a, a commentary or a satire of something meant for these type of people but these type of people wouldn't be watching this movie unless they were forced to unless they were under duress well, it's subterfuge, though, right? I mean, this is sneaking in the political agenda in a broad farcical comedy. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? Yes, that works. I can see where you're coming from on that. But you know what you're what you're saying is 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 true. But also, like, I am part of that demographic that's going to go for a film like this. Mm -hmm. But that wouldn't have been on my mind. You know, I was 18 at the time. You know, right. very inexperienced in the way of the world. So it probably would have been something I hadn't have even thought of, you know, and sex workers and, and, and uh, marginalized communities like that weren't as visible in 1996 as they are today with the advent of, true. you know, social media and uh, right. everyone having a voice. Now it was a lot different back then. I guess. Okay. I'm not going to like divert us too much, but um, like Josh, I know you really like the movie soft and quiet. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. So I, I'm gonna—I'm not throwing my husband under the bus, but like he hated that movie, and he was like, 
I understand the message of this film, but the message of this film is for people who will never watch this film. And so, Joe, you saying, oh, this killer kind of being a far- – we're sneaking in the messaging into a farcical comedy throws mm-hmm. off my argument here because Soft and Quiet is not a farcical comedy. Right. But I, it just got me thinking about, yeah, like, like movies that sneak in this messaging, this commentary for people who would never in any other circumstance watch this type of movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I just find it a fascinating um, observation. Well, I wonder, too, if that's the reason why some of this feels so obvious. Like when he says, oh, I'm not going to do that because it's queers and hookers. And you're just like, oh, wow, you're really saying the quiet part out loud right now. But I wonder if it's because, oh, we're trying to make sure we hit the people in the back of the room who might not otherwise get it. Like it needs to be dead ass obvious so that people understand what the hell we're talking about and that does play better in a movie that is as over the top as this mm-hmm. Agreed. um i mean the, the captain is a bit of a ridiculous character right so i think it it's does make sense yeah. if anyone is going to say this it would be mcgovern or the captain well that's actually something too i actually find the straight characters are more stereotypical than the queer characters in this movie right yes i mean I think they're also all anticipating our villainess reveal, who is, I mean, she's straight, but she's campy as fuck, but she's saying all of these same things in an even more horrific fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Policeman O'Brien, who is played by Gade Benedicts, offers up a clue. So where are these condoms coming from? Well, we think it might have something to do with the disappearance slash abduction of Professor... Smirnoff. So we're just in- introducing another character to this movie, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which I do think is part of the problem, right? Like, we're so late into the film. Why are we still introducing new people? Like, where is Sally Ben? Where's the professor Ben? It needed some finessing, but I wonder how much of this is, oh, comic one adaptation, comic two adaptation. Well, also editing while filming. Like, I don't... Right. I mm. think it's a miracle this film turns out as good as it does, given the schedule they were under right and dr dr smirnoff is again not really much of a character he has a lot of rambling dialogue Mm -hmm. or monologue really red jelly later on (laughs) but i do i do find it uh, amazing i love great names in films and his um, boris smirnoff is about the most russian name you can have Uh, just like luigi macaroni yes the most italian (laughs) name you can have they're just fantastic I love it. Like, if you're going to go very, very stupid, go all the way. Commit yeah. to that bit. Okay, Absolutely. so one of my favorite jokes in this movie is they're talking about this missing Dr. Smirnoff, and they're like, yeah, he sent his daughter photographs from the Bahamas saying the weather's really nice here, but we talked to his daughter, and she said he hated nice weather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, so it's, so it's, so, it's so just lowbrow humor. And you're like, yeah, and that's why it works, right? It's mm-hmm. so funny. <laughs> <laughs> his, one of his, his, in his top five least favorite things, nice weather is number three. <laughs> it seems like something Gretchen Wieners would say from Mean Girls, right? I feel like maybe I'm Professor Boris Smirnoff. You hate nice weather? <laughs> I hate beaches, for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, you can't hate hot weather too much. You do live in Texas. Oh, well, this is... I can hate it and still live in it. It's, uh, yeah, that is true. Um, that is masochism. True. Yeah. 
I, I'm telling you, going back to Austin for Fantastic Fest, I was like, holy fuck. Like, my body had already acclimated to Denver weather, and I was not <laughs> yeah. prepared. Not ready. Not ready for it. Okay, so while this has all been happening, we've had a rash of new cases in the queer community. So the captain finally realizes, okay, we need to do something about this, mostly because he wants to catch the person doing it, not because he wants to protect queer people. So he sends Sam in to go undercover. This is very much our cruising homage. And Macaroni can't go in because he's too familiar. So he is tasked with outfitting Sam to look the part, which apparently involves both leather as well as hankies. Well, okay, it doesn't involve hankies. Um, Macaroni just says, do this. And mm -hmm. <laughs> did you go back and reread that article we wrote about this? I remember that we spent a fair amount of time talking about the hanky code. Okay, and the reason for that is because I didn't know the hanky code was a thing or what it oh. was when I watched this movie the first time. So Wild. this okay. joke... Back then, I remember distinctly feeling, I don't understand what this joke is, um, because the oh. movie doesn't explain it to right. you, like, outright. No. Mm -mm. Everyone go back and listen to our cruising episode on a lesson on the hanky code. But knowing what it is now, I'm five years older and brighter, uh, this mm -hmm. is hilarious. <laughs> it is. It's very funny, because as soon as you see the yellow hanky, if you understand the hanky code... I mean, this is one of the more obvious ones, you know, when Macaroni makes the joke, oh, well, at least I didn't give you the red one. And then he makes the fisting motion. Yeah. <laughs> Rough. Okay. Yeah. I mean, honestly, he's got a point, right? At least someone just peed on you. And on his leg. I fully expected <gasps> him to come in doused in urine. Though that would have been... Honestly, I think that would have played funnier for I me. I think it would have been funnier because when he's complaining, oh, I'm covered in pee on the leg, you can't even see it. This oh is my God. very true. What would have been even funny, he he got peed on so much that his skin has become jaundiced. Mm, that's, <laughs> that's a bit much. What are we, Billy from the Black Christmas remake? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, nevertheless, though, all these scenes of him at the bar mm -hmm. those are director's cut scenes so if you did okay. watch the theatrical cut or that alleged youtube cut that we mentioned earlier uh um, you did not see these allegedly scenes. yeah allegedly yeah you allegedly did not see these scenes <laughs> but i do think that i do think what's funny about that the the hanky sequence the hankiness of it all is that Ooh. when he when he is in the bar he is flaunting it because he has been told by macaroni that it is to ward off people that he's not into sex yes. right now oh yeah and so he he very proudly shows it but he also has a, a sort of come hither look on his face which is a bit confusing so 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 that's in the theatrical we just go from him getting the hanky to a couple scenes later him coming back beating up macaroni mm -hmm. and, and i do feel like it's robbed a little bit to not see him in these scenes because yeah as you said like, the way he just like <laughs> sticks his ass up in the air to be like mm -hmm. yep you see this yellow hanky <laughs> and the other guy's like yeah i do <laughs> Well, it almost seems to me, you know, having worked at a gay bar and seeing the diverse clientele that comes in, there would be straight men who would come in and they would feast on the attention of queer men who would kind of oogle them because they were fresh meat. And that's definitely what it feels like Sam is doing. He's both enjoying the attention, mm. but also flaunting this, oh, no, I think I'm protected by the hanky. So you want me, but you can't have me. It's so funny. And the first time I ever took my dad to a gay bar, it was a bear bar in Austin called the Ooh. Iron Bear. And okay. but we went for karaoke. I went with my sister and my dad and like a bunch of my work friends. And... 
I'll never forget, some guy bought my dad a drink, and my dad was like, what do I do? And I was like, you, you drink, drink it, it. and you, you accept <laughs> another one, because you'll probably get one. <laughs> you just can't raise your eyebrows with a come hither and fuck me look, that's all. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, I've been smart enough not to go to a gay bar without my wife. Just because Aww. it makes it a little bit easier. She, I mean, and, and Trace, you, you've you've done this. My wife works in the event industry, and you mm-hmm. have worked in the event industry. And a lot of those people that are working in the event industry are gay men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. Uh, they are a lot. And so a lot of her bosses were gay men. And so we would go to karaoke at the Roundup here in Dallas or whatever. The I've, I've been to a couple of gay strip clubs just because that's where they're having their company Christmas party. And I'm like, oh, All right, yeah. cool. God. Yes. You know? <laughs> But you didn't wear a yellow hanky, is what you're telling me. I us. did not. No, that's a. <laughs> did you wear your yellow jockstrap? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm I'm saying, oh, that sounds fun, and then I'm thinking, mm, there's probably some people who would maybe rather not have a Christmas party at a gay strip club. Who? Uh, <laughs> squares? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Presidential candidate Dick McGovern. Dick exactly. McDickless. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's gonna have to change that slogan for sure, for sure. Yeah. Dickless Dick McGovern. Mm. Okay, so while Sam is here at the gay bar flaunting that juicy ass, we've got uh, Luigi checking out the chapel at the hospital, and we're also returning to the Croatian tourist who got her nose bitten, and she happens to see the Asian man emerging from a trapdoor beneath the hospital's chapel altar. So again, this is director's cut. Um, We don't meet this woman until she comes into the police precinct later in the theatrical cut. Okay. Yeah, so the, the scenes then combine. So we get to see Sam come back. He gets really mad at Luigi. This is when the Croatian tourist comes in. But of course, nobody speaks Croatian. So we have to wait until we can get a not great translator <laughs> who can basically only decipher a couple of words, but enough to realize, oh, hey, it's that guy who was delivering condoms to Mm -hmm. the hotel quickie earlier so we understand okay they're operating out of a hospital let's get over there wouldn't that be your first investigative like instinct who's delivering condoms to the hotel (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know what i noticed on this last on this last viewing this may have been director's cut as well i don't know for sure but Mm -hmm. when he's delivering those condoms to the hotel quickie he's in like a bright orange like uh it's so noticeable like day glow jacket with yep. those like, yellow yellow reflective strips on it and the whole deal like he's not subtle Mm-mm. and it says condom service in giant letters on the back of yeah. his jacket <laughs> <laughs> again looney tunes level of silliness may Man, as well just said acne right i don't right. think the film always commits to it. i think we have moments of that but it's mm-hmm. not like it's spread throughout the film to where it's in every scene yeah, it feels like yeah. certain moments really hit the nail on the head. And then other moments, it's like, oh, you could have gone bigger. Why didn't you go bigger? Well, and that's the thing where it's like, I mean, like, I would genuinely be curious to see what a remake of this film would look like. Uh, would it be American? Because it would be defanged. Um, you know what? Oh, God, do I even want to ask for this? Make Tromo actually produce it. Oh, mm. interesting. I mean, I... I feel like that would inherently be, by all metrics, a worse movie, but (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, 
cancel those trauma ads. They're definitely not going to throw us any coin now. But <laughs> no shade to trauma. I like. Well, Toxic <laughs> Avenger was also an. I know Toxic Avenger was a, was a production, right? Uh, yes. I, I never know the difference between which ones they've acquired and which ones they produced. Well, Toxic Avenger one really fucking good. Yeah, that one is definitely theirs, right, Josh? Yes, the the, the Toxic Avenger ones are all theirs. But like Killer Killer Grandmas, is that the one that we did an editorial yeah, on? Trace? That Grannies. one's an acquisition, I believe. I... Oh, I don't think Ooh. so. I think that was a trauma film. Uh, Nebus, I didn't like that one either. <laughs> that one's hilarious. I love it. I don't think it's very funny. Um, all right. All on. right. Well, um, okay. So, yes, we have Luigi talking to Dr. Riffleson. And this was an interesting moment. This is basically when I knew she was the villain of the film. Because he's saying, hey, I'm here looking for this Asian man. We think we've got a connection between the condoms and this man that we saw coming out of the chapel. And she says, well, there's like a billion Chinese people in the world. But then she also doesn't think that a single one of them works in the hospital. <laughs> and I'm just like sweetie think about what you're saying i i wrote in my notes sure jan <laughs> yeah new york is a famously white city right oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not diverse at all Mm-mm. yeah you know what they call it the city of mayonnaise for a reason right folks <laughs> the city of mayonnaise <laughs> the big egg <laughs> <laughs> oh boy okay so while he is talking so while he is talking to dr riffleson uh we have sam and o'brien playing charades with this croatian tourist so they're in the chapel they're looking at the altar they cannot figure out how to open it they end up shooting it this brings luigi because of course he's like oh i hear gunshots i'm gonna go and investigate but not before riffleson suggests that he must be lonely because he's not married I was just like, oh, that old line where if you're queer, you must be lonely and you're going to die by yourself. It's all broad strokes with all the things she's saying, but they're things mm-hmm. that I've heard before, be it in person or just seeing people on the news say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that makes it funnier. Like, there's nothing deeper to her villainy, right? It's just this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we end up falling down into her lair. It's absolutely disgusting. This place is moist with a capital M. Well, it's it's Giger. This, this is your Giger designs. This is 100% yeah. Giger. Yeah. I mean, it basically looks like where you could just as easily imagine an alien pod coming out of this place. Yeah. John Hurt's down here just buried in a pile of goo. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Numi Rapace is also there as well. Yeah. Well, she's dead. Well, that's what I'm saying, man. It's just <laughs> uh, okay, so we've got everybody hanging on these swings above a pool of killer condoms that are just jumping up at their crotches. It's a very funny visual, but uh, this is where Riffleson goes into overdrive. So she instructs Luigi to pull out his sinful babble penis, and oh, she's Joe. going to. Mm. That was my other thing for the top of the episode. Pull oh, out okay. your sinful babble penis. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's revealed she does this kind of expository monologue that reveals she's a religious fanatic who believes that the savior is coming to cleanse Sodom and Gomorrah, a.k.a. New York, of perverts like Luigi and his friends. But it's coming in 1999. So this is like a Y2K movie. Mm-hmm. This... <laughs> okay, I don't mean any offense to the German language, but I can't tell... If her line deliveries are funnier because she's yelling them in German or just because of what she's saying. German is a notoriously severe language, like Russian and German are just very hard sounding. So when she yells it, it's either Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS, or it's funny. Scheiße, Scheiße, Scheiße! <laughs> yeah, a little bit of that. <laughs> That's how Germans are taught to speak. I've seen enough Hitler videos to know that. Oh, my God. Scheiße, scheiße, scheiße. Yeah, got it. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So, um, yes, basically, she wants to test drive a new design that Dr. Smirnoff has come up with. And <laughs> Dr. Smirnoff. The fucking things that I have to say on this podcast sometimes. <laughs> So she wants him to feed his sinful babble penis to a Tremors graboid-looking oh, killer condom. I wrote, she shows him an extra-large killer condom, and it's a mini graboid. <laughs> yes! Yep. <laughs> the creature design is great. I love this thing. I wish it got more screen time. What little it does is fantastic. And this is something that um, Giger had a more engorged design for so they didn't get to use his actual design but i also wonder if this is maybe because they had built it before he came on set also a plus use of engorged love it uh uh, uh oh god what does she say in 10 things i hate about you tumescent yes quite <laughs> quite tumescent. his tumescent member you mean reginald's quivering member <laughs> Yes, that. I'm glad we're all on the same page. <laughs> Alice and Janney in that movie is a goddamn delight. Love it. Cat. Cat. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So, yes, it appears that Luigi is going to be in a bit of trouble because she's going to drop these people into the vat if he doesn't feed his dick to this thing. Thankfully, this is when Billy reappears. It's been like half the film without this character, yeah. but he's back to cause a distraction. So we get a shootout, lots of people shooting things. <laughs> and uh, that's when Dr. Riffleson releases this thing. And it tries to go after Luigi's giant penis. And Billy smacks it with a shovel directly into her assistant's face. L-O-L. You really saved his cock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how did billy know where to go that's my question he's been he's been mia for so long truly was he just following them oh we know he heard the croatian tourists say the chapel so presumably when he mm. arrived at the chapel he saw the open altar but okay but there is an entrance to this lab through the hospital right like it's not just through this secret chapel passageway right well, the chapel is in the hospital. Okay, well, yeah. ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there might have been another entrance back in the day. I don't know. No, I mean, no. we, we've kind of skipped over the part, but basically the reason that Riffleson is doing all of this and the reason that McGovern had to lose his penis <laughs> is because he is the one who ordered the destruction of the church 
And right. she believes that it's responsible for all of the Puritan, like, it's their fault. In the theatrical cut, this is all revealed here. There is a director's cut scene earlier with your favorite character, Joe, Sally What's-Her-Face, mm -hmm. telling Luigi, well, this is what happened to the church, and this is the guy who ordered it demolished. That's right. director's cut footage. Yeah, it's the only other scene we see Sally in, and that's basically all she does. She comes back, she does that, and then she says, hey, where's dead name Babette? Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah, not enough Sally. Needed more Sally. Where is she? Why yes. isn't she in this finale? I needed more Riffleson. I mean, fair. You know what? There's a lot left to come. So at this point, she has fallen into her own goopy nonsense. So she returns and she's holding Billy at gunpoint, but she looks like she's got a face full of jizz. I. Yes. Yeah. Yes. For sure. <laughs> it's either face cream or somebody unloaded on her. <laughs> it is for sure jizz. Yeah. yeah she, got, she got a monster facial from that mini graboid. Yeah. <laughs> My God. A monster facial from the mini graboid. Mm hmm. This is my Thursday night. This is what I do with my Thursday nights. Now. <laughs> you get paid for it too, so good for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, she is incensed. She's going to shoot Billy unless Luigi sacrifices himself. And this is when Luigi delivers a sermon for her, as well as the hospital's dickless patients who have wandered down. There's also a pair of angels in this scene. It's wild. Yeah. Um, so this, I mean, this is the most on the nose, like, come together commentary for the movie. And mm -hmm. I did, I did transcribe this. So, oh, okay. Dramatic reading, please. I will not be, I will not read it in Luigi's voice. But what he says is, <laughs> <laughs> okay, at least do it in German then. <laughs> Scheiße. <laughs> no, he starts off by saying there aren't any condoms in heaven, Dr. Riffleson, especially not ones that bite. Good to know. You speak of a God who will judge all of mankind. I say that God will protect all lovers. He doesn't care if it's two men, a man, and a woman. Uh, he doesn't care if a man wears women's clothing. Cue the cut to Babette. Right. And sings in a bar. It's possible that these people haven't always done the right thing, but we're all human beings. Everyone is responsible for their own life path. If God ever does pass judgment over us, he won't need anyone to do it for him. Each and every one of us here, whether gay or straight, whether a transvestite or an atheist professor, brothel owner or police officer, Serb, Croat, or Chinese, he mm. that is without sin among you cast the first stone. Right. Heartfelt. Love it. It is a little on the nose, but it's well, 1996, so I'm giving it a pass. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a lovely kumbaya to end, you know. The... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that it's so effective. Everyone is swayed by it, except for Dr. Riffleson, who just immediately says, oh, you're dirty, and then pitches herself face first into this absolutely disgusting looking pond. It's not great. <laughs> it's not. But this also, we, we didn't mention it earlier, but she has, she has this... Uh, Again, cartoonish gun that yeah. shoots the oh. I love you, that was found in Billy's apartment right. ages and ages and ages ago. And she actually tries to shoot herself in the head and mm -hmm. realizes that she's failed at even doing that and then pitches herself into this pond. Which, oh, God, that, again, the hypocrisy there, right? Because a true Christian would never, well, I'm sorry, not a true Christian, but like someone of this who's spouting off all this dogma mm -hmm. would not 
die by suicide. They wouldn't kill themselves. And granted, I have learned recently from other listeners who have reached out to us and said, well, actually, you know, suicide isn't the be-all, end-all sentence to hell that most religions thought it was because they've taken... um, A loose interpretation. Well, and I I confess that hearing that made me a little angry. Not at the person telling me that, but because I was like, okay, so we're going to make excuses for what I was born and raised growing up as like oh suicide is the worst sin suicide's the one way that you cannot go to heaven because you have no chance to confess your sins and whatever and suicide is a sin so hearing that i guess christianity or some religions have um they've given the okay to suicide is not a direct sentence to hell because of mental health issues but we haven't like pushed those same beliefs onto queerness but then i you know then i'm like well then i'm saying that queerness is a mental disorder, which is not what I'm trying to say, but they're they're in the same ballpark, I think, where it's like, you're born that way. Hmm. I don't know. That was a lot. I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it's good that you got it out because I think you raised some important issues. It's just more like, okay, compressing. Yeah, compressing, sorry, that like might have been months of build up, like bursting out of me right now, but I kept thinking about that every time. I was like, why the fuck is this bitch killing herself, trying to kill herself? Well, I think at this point, especially where the film is ending, you're meant to believe, oh, well, the bigotry can't win, so she can't see any other existence. Like, it's better for her to just peace out at this moment because she would rather die than live in a world with this kind of love for queerness. But but, 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 but it's not just she'd rather die than live in a world with this love. She would rather be sentenced to hell to be tortured for all eternity than Mm -hmm. live in a world with this love, which I just don't buy. I mean, again, I'm going really deep in a religious theory here, but (laughs) for, for a movie that maybe doesn't merit that kind of a conversation, but that's my thought on it. I mean, she's also a fucking idiot. Well, she's a psychopath. Yeah. (laughs) That may trump everything else. Yes. Let's go with that. Yeah, we'll go with that. That's fine. Okay, so apparently because Dr. Riffleson is gone, the scene is now safe and everyone is okay, even though these killer condoms are still everywhere down here. But uh, you know what? We just cut. We're upstairs. We're out in the open. We've got police and reporters swarming the hospital. And this is where Babette cozies up to Sam. So Sam will replace Luigi in her heart, apparently. And this doesn't satisfy me very much. I feel like, yeah, I mean, Babette needs to learn to love herself. Is, yes. Uh, is, the, is the issue. Instead, she is attaching herself to... Another unavailable man, because Sam yeah. is married and has a kid, he says at one point. Yeah. And I, I do feel bad for Babette. It's, mm-hmm. She lives, but is she really living? Well, and that's where I think in, in a remake of this, you would either, A, scrap the Babette character, because it's one element too many in this movie, or mm-hmm. devote more screen time to her to explore that character. Right. And probably do what Josh is suggesting and just be like, oh, I'm happy with myself. I'm going to learn to love who I am now. Yeah. 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 I do like, though, that this film never says, oh, okay, you know, my love for you was misplaced. I'm not actually Babette. I'm back to dead name. You know, the film doesn't ever revert that. It never says that Babette made a wrong decision. So even though she has questionable taste in men, (laughs) she's still true to herself at the end of the film. This is true. 
Which again, 1996. That's, I mean, that's, ugh. I feel like the further away I get from the 90s, though, I'm like, oh, am I forgetting that sometimes the 90s were progressive? But th- no. This, but, <laughs> but, but, I mean, no, but, but, <laughs> but people could make, like, there are queer, there is queer cinema from the 90s. You know, there is progressive sure. queer cinema in the 90s. But just looking at this movie, I'm like, I'm just. Mm-hmm. dumbfounded that this was made and wasn't like the queerness wasn't compromised it's right. like the queers are people yes <laughs> josh stop saying the obvious loud part <laughs> no but you are right trace this is literally right the exact moment where the new queer film yeah. that oh, yeah, sort of sure. tide is coming into effect but those were often art house films so well i guess foreign and art house so yeah this is maybe part of that new film queer canon. Porn in art house. <laughs> and I do wonder, because the, the screenplay is credited to both uh, Waltz and, uh, and Koenig, mm-hmm. I, I wonder how much input Koenig had into decisions like that, you know, for the, for yeah. the characters. That's why it's so surprising to hear that he's not a fan of this film, because I actually thought that he was really instrumental in getting all of this good queerness in the film. You know what? Oh, well, I was going to say, that might have been back in the 90s, but that interview with the special effects guy was, like, last year, so... Well, here's the thing. We discovered from our Spotify rap that we apparently gained a lot of traction among German listeners last year, so... German listeners, if you have any insight about this film or Koenig's involvement in it, please reach out. Let us know. Yeah, please. I'd be be very interested in that. Okay, so to wrap up the film... The captain says, hey, you did a great job. You should take a little bit more time off. Macaroni quits and walks away into the sunset with Billy, who promises that he will always call him cop. Okay, this is the cutest thing ever, though. It's adorable. It is very cute. (laughs) I'm just imagining the sex games they play with that 32 centimeter cock. Oh, my God. (laughs) Do you think they just like put a bunch of shots on it and then Billy just like goes down the dick? No, I think they put a little mini cop costume on it, and that's the deputy <laughs> to Macaroni's chief? Sheriff? Hmm. Sheriff. <laughs> Sheriff? I don't know. Um, but yeah. Here's the thing. Everything we've said aside about the progressiveness, about the queerness in this film, mm-hmm. they get a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Unheard of. I mean, not, but it is. <laughs> it's rare. We'll put it that way. It's rare. Uh, all right everyone well that has been killer condom and josh as the guest of honor first thank you so much for coming to talk about this film with us do you have any final thoughts on this film before we wrap up there are just a few few little things we we talked a, a little bit about uh hr geeger's contribution and it's mm-hmm. all really in that last 10 minutes like you mentioned before there's yeah. a killer condom training dummy uh sort of shoot thing that happens there oh yeah yeah that thing is so weird. It is. There's a dick guillotine that is apparently in the ba- that's in the background because it is. I've seen it. <laughs> I miss that. I miss that too. You just pan right past it, but they talk about it a lot in the bonus features that it was the one thing that Giger really wanted to do, and so they <gasps> made it specially for him. It hangs around the neck like a like a necktie, and then you oh my it, God. and it straps down to the dick, and you see the the, the guillotine blade slide down once. Oh my! Uh, in the film, just because you know Wait, he's yes. he does stuff like that. I do remember that. I do remember that. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious! And I just I love all those little things, and I just imagine all the work that had to go into that thing that you're just going to pan past for like five seconds. 
Oof. Obviously, not going to make a huge impact on the audience, but it's there. Mm-hmm. It's you there. Know, if you're looking for the details, there are plenty to find. There we go. Amazing. Yeah, I um, I just really like this movie. I mean, it's it's so much better, more self-aware, and just fucking drink every time I say progressive. Sure. <laughs> then you would expect a movie called Killer Condom from 1996 to be. Mm-hmm. I'm very upset this isn't available to stream more widely, but I, I'm happy that we have that Vinegar Syndrome 4K. This is, I had so much fun revisiting this. Um, it, it, yeah. It's just a blast of a film, and it's better than, again, it's better than you would ever think it would be. A hundred percent. In some ways, the title is its best-selling feature, but it's also the thing that's going to yeah. hold back a lot of people from ever checking this out. So yeah, I mm-hmm. hope a bunch of people went on this wild journey with us because I don't know. I think this movie is such a fun little gem, and yeah, it was delightful to revisit it with the two of you. It's a damn hoot. A damn hoot. <laughs> Darn tootin'. Hard agree. 32 centimeters of rock hard agree. Also, why are you clapping again? <laughs> that was that was my throat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I guess you were just thinking of that. I, really was. I, I, I filled my own throat with cock as I was saying that. Um, God, anyway. John Holmes would approve. Yeah. <laughs> Before we announce what we're covering next week, uh, Josh, first, let everyone know, where can they find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter still. I refuse to call it the other thing. Yeah. Uh, as Hateful Josh, I am uh, also on Blue Sky, kind of. I have an account. I don't mm. use it as much as I should. That's how I am, too. Uh, and if you want to find out more about films that I am working on, I try to share those as much on the Potentate Films Twitter and Instagram pages, which are just the name of the company. Excellent. Awesome. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers. Shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Go to our YouTube channel to check out our Chucky reviews. Um, also, we probably getting the rest of that season pretty soon. Mm-hmm. If you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. If you subscribe today, uh, this January of 2024, you will get 281 hours of Patreon content, including this month's new episodes on Hannibal's Pilot Season 1 Episode 1, an oldie but a goodie in Guillermo del Toro's Mimic, and new releases Founder's Day and Night Swim. Oh, and our audio commentary for the month will be on Jennifer Kent's The Babadook for its, oh, Jesus fucking Christ, mm-hmm. 10th anniversary? Yep, already. Jesus. Are you yep. Baba Shook? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm Baba Hated. Um, <laughs> Joe. Hmm. <laughs> oh, God. What are we talking about next week? Well, Trace, we are sticking with stupid. We're going to talk about boy witches throwing semen at each other in the rain it is finally time to talk about Rennie Harlan's The Covenant. I was going to say, you better say Rennie Harlan's The Covenant, because I think it's a really crucial detail. <laughs> <laughs> what has this man done to us? Yes. This is another one that I watched for the first time because of you writing an mm-hmm. article about it. And I am excited, question mark, to revisit it. 
Yeah, whereas Killer Condom is silly and stupid, this one may just be stupid, but I think we're going to have a blast talking about it. I hope so. I hope it's not boring, but we'll find out. But until next week, everyone, we can cross out Killer Condom. Indeed, and cross out Horror Dongs. Thank you.